Systems go. Hello, welcome and bienvenue. Konnichiwa. Ni hao, jambo. Marhaba. It's time for the Armist Inquisition yet again. Episode 235 on Sunday, the 12th of June. I'm Armish Phil. And I'm Armish Ben. And tonight we've got a very special guest for you. We have Terry Boardman from 3man.org. How are you doing, Terry? I'm fine, thanks, Phil. Ben, hi. Good to see you. Hi, Terry. Nice to have you. Um, I mentioned in our email that I'd heard you on the Delling Pod recently, and I was incredibly yeah. intrigued with what you were saying. And then, obviously, I got directed to the website and was uh, looking through some of your articles and your research and everything. So, I mean, uh, as a sort of a way of introduction, why don't you tell everyone a bit about yourself and uh, what you're doing on the website and whatnot? Right. Um, well, I think... Um, the way I come at things is uh, it's made basically formed from three directions. One is the experiences I had when I was growing up in Chester in the northwest of England, um, which is a very historical ancient Roman city. That's what started me off in my interest in history. And, um, and then went on to university in Manchester and uh, studied history there. And then I went to Japan, and that was the second sort of formative uh, factor in the way I look at things, and tried for seven years to understand sort of East-West questions in terms of the experiences I was having there. Um, and that left me with a number of questions. And then I came back to the, to the West, to Europe, in 1981. And uh, pretty soon after coming back, I came across the, the ideas of uh, Rudolf Steiner, the founder of uh, what he called anthroposophy or spiritual science. And I found that that answered a number of the questions which had arisen in my 20s when I was in Japan. Um, and then from that, uh, that took me into studying a, a, a movement art, which he developed. And so my wife and I did a four-year training in that particular movement art. And then interestingly, as almost as soon as I um, graduated from that training, then my uh, historical interests, which were very particular in relation to the First World War, trying to understand the 20th century, came back again. So I was, what, 36 at that time. And then I tried to combine these two interests for about seven or eight years. And uh, after that time, I realized, well, I couldn't really, so one of them would have to go. So I dropped the Eurythmy at that point, the movement arts called Eurythmy, not Eurythmics, Eurythmy, <laughs> and uh, focused on um, history and uh, trying to understand the 20th century. And uh, that's what then took me into writing and lecturing, and, uh, and that's where I am now. So at the moment, I do 
basically three things. I'm a translator of uh, German and Japanese. I, I give talks on history and current events. And I also um, write for a couple of uh, magazines regularly. Um, well, I can show you one of those. This is a quarterly magazine. Can you see that? New That's View. The, yeah, New View magazine. That's a quarterly magazine. And uh, then the other one is this one here, which is uh, uh, the present age. is a monthly magazine based in Switzerland. It's coming out of Switzerland. Uh, that's the German uh, version of it. So there's a German version, and then I translate the, uh, the, um, the English version, which is called uh, the present age. Wow. The German version is called the European, and the, uh, the English version is called the present age. Wow. So I, tra I translate that from German into uh, into English, and that's one of my you know, regular things that I do. Was that Perseus holding the head of the Medusa aloft there? On the it was indeed. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Oh. Yeah, and you know that that has to do with the sort of uh, the, the stage in development where we move from trying to from a stage where we're, we're as it were, back when, let's shall we say, approximately before the 8th century BC, 1000 BC, where you know, human beings were still in a, what you might call a, uh, almost a clairvoyant state. Um, and then we move from that clairvoyant state or picture consciousness into uh, more of a, a situation where human beings are able to think for themselves rather than having divine beings think through them. So the Medusa was is a symbol or being who still had that capacity symbolized by the snakes on the, in the head for the uh, for the for this ancient rather atavistic capacity to be thought through, so to speak. Yeah? And Perseus is a representative of what was coming of the new capacity for individuals to think for themselves, which is why he had the shield in order to guide to guard himself against the sort of forces the instinctive atavistic forces which she had. Right. That's what, that's what the, uh, the, the, uh, the symbol is about. You mentioned uh, Rudolf Steiner there, um, who's yeah. quite fa famous in sort of uh, esoteric circles and people who research uh, theosophy and, and whatnot. I've read um, he, he wrote a book which was like an introduction to theosophy, yeah. And uh, I read that a few years ago, and uh, I am actually reading a collection of um, sort of talks and articles that, um, about Eurythmy that was compiled of his work right okay. now. And uh, I'm I'm struggling a bit, to be honest. It's, it's quite a difficult <laughs> well, sort of concept. I'm not surprised because, I mean, I was struggling too when I, when I first came across that. And that, you know, that's because I, in Japan I'd been involved with... Uh, improvisational dance and music uh, electronic music mostly um, and uh, we, we did these improvisational gigs um, which combine poetry and lights and dancing and music and so on and eventually I, I got a bit frustrated with that and I, I felt the need to get into music in a more systematic structured and disciplined way if you will and it's at that point that we came back to this country and um, and then we went to Steinhaus in London and saw a performance of the Eurythmy for the first time. And although it was kind of 
way beyond me in a way. I, I couldn't really understand what they were doing, of course. But I did recognize that what they were doing combined all the things that, that we'd been trying to do in Tokyo. Um, dancing lights, movement lights, speech. Uh, they were moving to speech. They were moving to music. They had this remarkable light show. Um, and uh, so that was all these things. I thought, yeah, I'd like to get know more about that. So like you, I started looking at Steiner's uh, lectures on Eurythmia, and I, I couldn't make much of it. Mm. So in the end, I, I, I said, well, maybe I have to try and do some of this. And uh, so my wife and I started going to um, uh, uh, courses for adults. And that's how I gradually got into it. Ian, I would like to ask you sort of, you mentioned uh, anthroposophy. Yeah, I got it. I got it. <laughs> you, you, you gave us what was the trick you said to say it just before we started well, recording? It's like anthropology, right? Or, or you? So it's the same stress pattern as anthropology, and, and it's anthroposophy. Or right. you can think of it as a person with one name. The first name is Anthro, and the second name is Pos- Mister Posophy. So Anthroposophy, Anthroposophy, Anthroposophy. Now, was yeah. was Steiner um, a contemporary of, of Blavatsky and and these other folks who were sort of uh, crucial in the formation of Theosophy? She was. Uh, she no. She was born, as I recall, in eighteen thirty one, and he was born in eighteen sixty one. So she was a generation before. And I think she died in uh, 1891, thereabouts, and he died in 1925. So he's he's the next generation, really. Yeah. But didn't didn't Steiner start off as in the Theosophical Society and then Anthropos, Um, (laughs) and then came to uh, came to bring about Anthroposophy. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, yes and no is the answer to that question. Um, because Steiner really started um, in uh, philosophy, so you know he was he was focused above all really on the nature of what is thinking, what 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 do we do when we think, and uh, so he wrote a number of that was his PhD, and he wrote a number of uh, books on those subjects first, and then he went from there into because he'd been educated as a young man in in the natural sciences, um, he went into uh, editing the, the scientific works of Goethe. And uh, so he, he did that for about seven years. Um, and then moved from, that was in Weimar in Germany, and he moved to Berlin. And because of the, the friends and associates he'd made in Berlin, he got to know some people who were moving in theosophical circles. And uh, when they found out what, what they were, what he was interested in, they asked him if he could give some talks. So he started off giving a talk on, um, on Goethe's uh, um, fairy story, the, the green snake and the beautiful lily. Um, this was uh, what I showed you just before. Was um, I on the cover of actually, this, this picture? Yeah, and that's actually a, an illustration of the... Of from that, you know, the green right. snake and the beautiful. It was a fairy story which Goethe, deeply symbolic, which Goethe uh, wrote. And so he gave some talks on that to people who were sort of either in or associated with the Theosophical Society, just because they were the people who asked him to do that. Yeah? And gradually they asked him to give more talks about esoteric matters. And so he did. 
Um, and and then eventually, they, he, it was suggested that he become the leader of the German section of the Theosophical Society, which which he did in 1902. But. Um, those people were what we could call the like the new ages of that time yeah and they were looking as i'm sure you know blavatsky was very much focused on asia the east, and yeah. in particular on um, on on buddhism um and of course the theosophical society even relocated to india in in 1879 i think it was um and had its headquarters in adya in india so although they were Westerners, they were very much focused on Indian spirituality. Not entirely, you know, they were trying to make sense of spirituality in general, but they were particularly focused on Indian spirituality. And Steiner felt, well, this is not really appropriate for the modern time because the modern time is also a, a, a time of science. So how can you try to relate uh, science and spirit, natural science and spiritual science? And also, because by that time he'd also, I, I think you could you could really describe him uh, in the 1880s, in his in his 20s, as a, a kind of agnostic, really. But around about the turn of the uh, the century, around about yeah, 18, 1899, 1900, he had a particular experience um, of of the Christ being, and from that time he he really embraced Christianity. And um, he, therefore, he also felt, as he began to give talks about esotericism, that in a Western context, given our uh, tradition and background in Christianity in this particular culture, that this had to be integrated into uh, esotericism, and esotericism had to be connected with that and natural science. Yeah? So he gradually began to drift away, you could say, and distance himself from the more... Uh, very Indian-influenced uh, stream of theosophy. And eventually, the, the, he and the theosophists fell out in uh, 19, about 19, from about 1909, 1910 onwards, when the theosophists, by that time it was the Englishwoman Annie Besant who was mm. leading the theosophists, when she produced the young man uh, Jiddu uh, Krishnamurti, and claimed that this young man was like the, the Christ figure or the Messiah or the world teacher. Yeah? And uh, Steiner just felt, well, this is definitely not right. And so he, he really distanced himself from uh, theosophy at, at that time. And theosophy, of course, means the wisdom of, uh, of God, and anthroposophy means the wisdom of human being, in the sense that human being is a microcosm of the macrocosm. So then finally, in 1912, 1913, the two went their own way, and he founded the Anthroposophical Society, and uh, they separated from him and distanced themselves from him as well. Um, so that's how that all developed. It's, quite, it's quite funny how um, you mentioned the Theosophical Society uh, being focused on the on the East, and it, it seems to me that we've had sort of like an echo of that in the 1960s. Similar sort yeah, of movement. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, very much so. And in fact, I think we could say that, you know, a, a very great deal of what happened in the 1960s was already there prefigured in the in the period, let's say, well, at the outside, 1890 to 19, well, to the, until the First World War, that, that period, right? But at that time, 
it was mostly fairly well-heeled people, fairly wealthy mm. people who were discovering all these things. But many of the things which we associate with the New Age or with the 1960s, whether it be vegetarianism or uh, veganism or nudism or you know, sex, you know, promiscuous sexuality or drug taking, cocaine, whatever, all these things, they were doing that then. But um, they would—they tended to be people who, as I say, were were pretty wealthy. Uh, whereas in the uh, in the nineteen sixties, all these things were much more democratized, weren't they? Um, but, but very many similarities. There was a bit of um, uh, sort of an uh, an upper crust element in the sixties as well. From just from bits that I've read, like uh, Goa, for example, was sort of. Uh, I don't. I don't know. I just got the impression that it was sort of a. Uh, a middle class. Uh, I'm probably being horribly um, uh, generalising here, yeah. but it's like yeah, a, like a middle a middle class playground. Explore yourself. And, you know, I can afford. Daddy can afford to send me to Goa for a couple of years, and I'll experiment and find myself and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, in, in 1981, on the way back to Japan, my wife and I went to India for three months. And because uh, we had a friend who who was at the ashram of uh, Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh. And uh, so we went to visit this guy. We, we stayed there for two weeks. And that was quite an interesting experience because there we saw, and this kind of bears out what you're saying in a way, that you know, if you'd wondered in 1981 where all the hippies had gone, the wealthy hippies, they were all there, uh, mostly Americans and Germans. Yeah? Bagwan, that is that... Ash- Sorry, Terry, is that the Bagwan who they made a Netflix documentary about a few years ago? Who He, he relocated to America. They bought some that's land. Him, that's him. He relocated to Oregon and renamed himself Osho. Osho, uh, that's or, it. Or maybe, or, I'm, I'm not quite sure about that. He may, have, he may have been renamed after that, after he died, uh, which I think was in about 1990 or so. But um, that was the second name he that was given to him or that he took on, Osho, O-S-H-O. So yeah, that's the, that's the man, and he went to uh, into to Oregon and that's got into it. some trouble there with the local authorities. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, as I said, those people were all there. You know, the, the wealthier uh, hippies uh, in the in the late seventies, the professional people, and the ashram there was incredibly, uh, you know, well stocked, and they had all mod cons and everything. You know, compared to the surroundings in in uh, in Pune where it was. But back in the 60s, I mean, if you think of people like, you know, whether it be the, the Beatles or the Who or, you know, these people appeared, uh, appealed to uh, working class boys and girls. And, and those kind of boys and girls, teenagers grew up with these bands and they went through the whole process. I mean, I was I was a little bit um, young. I mean, I was only 18 in 1970 when I went to uni. Uh, but I, you know, I'd experienced a lot of that uh, that whole '60s scene, going to music gigs and, and what have you. So you could see that you know it, it really was much more democratizing than uh, was the case hundred years, uh, well, no, sixty years previously. Um, it was had a much wider social uh, social base. Um, I just wanted to go back to something you were saying about about Steiner and him having like um, like a, not a Damascene moment, but he, he had an experience, a religious experience, which sort of turned him in a certain direction. I mean, yeah. I'm guessing he would have classed himself as a Christian. Well, certainly he did from then on. Yeah, yeah. And um, this is something that I've been wrestling with 
re- mm. of recent, of late. Um, would you class? Would you call yourself a Christian, Terry? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe you can help me because I've been because I've been interested in esoteric subjects for quite a number of years now, and um, you get exposed to different ideas, particularly with theosophy and about mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, star worship and the zodiac and symbolism and all, and all these things. Um, yeah. And I wanted to ask you how how are you able to reconcile your sort of knowledge of esotericism with a belief in Christ? Well, one of the things, I mean, first of all, Blavatsky was not well disposed towards Christianity, not at all. Um, but one of the things that theosophy and anthroposophy, you know, her ideas and Steiner's ideas do have in common, is that they try, they, they seek to understand the whole development of human spirituality from its earliest beginnings. So it's very much a question of the, the development and evolution of human consciousness, and therefore, the various kinds of um, religions and spiritual movements which emerged in relation to the to that developing human consciousness. Yeah, like I was saying before about Medusa and, and Perseus. Um, so that that's definitely something which they have in common. So because Steiner had that perspective, he he wanted to show how Christianity, how to bridge Christianity to the pre-Christian spirituality and also to post-Christian spiritual streams like, um, well, whether it be streams of Christian uh, mysticism in the Middle Ages uh, or Islam, uh, which is also, of course, post-Christian and so on. Yeah, And that was very, very interesting to me because when I'd been in Japan in those seven years and I hadn't known anything about Steiner or or anthroposophy in those days, um, in the 70s, I, that was a, became a real burning question to me, you know, how to bridge this seemingly huge gap between East and West, between cultures like Japan and, and England, for example. Yeah. Um, that became a very, very urgent question. I mean, one, uh, one th- book I came across which was very helpful in this regard was this one, The Ways of Thinking of Eastern Peoples by uh, Hajime Nakamura, and uh, this was a very helpful book to understand the differences between uh, Indians, Chinese, Tibetans, and Japanese, particularly in their different approaches to Buddhism. Because uh, I was particularly interested in Zen, I suppose, at that time. Mm. Um, but this, this book really helped me to see how Buddhism, which many people in the West in the 70s had a rather vague idea about, yeah? uh, and how Buddhism was very, very differentiated according to these various cultures. But how to then make the connection between Buddhism and these various streams and Christianity, that was hard to do in uh, in Japan. And I didn't come across any Japanese spiritual teachers who were able to do that. They, they essentially said to me as a Westerner, they said, well, you know, they said very politely, they said, your culture is a mistake in spiritual terms, yeah? Your culture has gone wrong, your culture has gone off the rails, so to speak, and what you need to do is come home to where we are. And, of course, that is where many New Ages were, many hippies in the 60s, yeah? They also felt that uh, Western culture and Western spirituality was all wrong and it, it had gone wrong, and we needed to go back to the truth, which was in the East. That's how they saw it. Yeah, a rejection of materialism. 
Yeah, exactly. But I, I always felt, you know, as, I guess because I had this sense of being this deep, deep interest in history since I was about eight. I, I'd always, I felt whenever those uh, Japanese te- spiritual teachers said that to me, I, I just, I just knew somehow in my bones, no, no, this, this, this isn't right. Yeah. And there's a reason why the West went in this in this path. There's a reason why the West went in the direction of logic, in the direction of even of materialism, in the direction ultimately of science and technology. There's a reason for that, and that also made me want to discover what you know what was the connection. How can one bridge these two cultures? And I couldn't find answers to those questions until I encountered Steiner. That's why I was so interested in. Him. Now, for as far as my reading goes, uh, particularly recent reading, I've been sort of tracing this back to, well, some would say Descartes and some would say Francis Bacon and then the, the Royal Society, and that, that this was the big sort of diverging moment. Yeah. Do you think that's accurate? Or? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the 17th century was... So, I mean, you, because you can see... After the fall of Constantinople in 1453, then a lot of the ancient classical wisdom, which had not been available in Europe, made its way over to Italy and was one of the things that really got the Italian Renaissance going. Yeah? Yeah. And that led on to hermeticism, hermetic esotericism. Um, and then you got other streams coming in, like the whole Christian, uh, Judaic, uh, or the, the Christian he- Hebraic stream. Um, and trying to understand the you know the Hebrew language uh, and what that had to say about God's intentions and so on, but that whole period of the 15th century, uh, 16th century, uh, what you might call the, the Hermetic stream, very transitional um, between what was what was before and and then this more thoroughgoing natural science which we recognise today. Uh, as you, you mentioned, with people like Bacon and, and the Royal Society, Galileo, Beck Newton, uh, uh, Hooke, and so on, yeah? Um, it really is, it really was in the 17th century that uh, European Western uh, natural science uh, took off, yeah. Yeah, I think, it was the, I think it was the Medicis. I think they were famous for wanting to um, find any sort of ancient text they could and make copies and translate them and... So obsessed with gathering knowledge from the ancient Greek writers and stuff, whatever had been sort of um, whatever had survived, sort of the the early the Dark Ages when um, it was the um, the guys in the monasteries were they were writing the the Christian texts and. You know, yeah. if they had time, they would copy a bit of Plato or whatnot, you know, or they might write over some Plato with, you know, I don't yeah. know, Augustine that's or something. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. But I mean, a lot of that Platonic knowledge had been uh, had been lost to Europe. Uh, they had a little bit, but not very much at all. And it really was um, it really was in the the, uh, the late Middle Ages that a lot of this platonic or neo-platonic uh, wisdom was uh, was rediscovered. And that was one of the things um, that uh, sparked the likes of, you know, Pico della Mirandola the, uh, to uh, get the Renaissance, the Italian Renaissance going uh, with all the translations made at that time. So, yeah, that was very, very, um, very, very important. But I think, you know, the... the um, Another, there was a sense in which 
that what happened there in the, in the 15th century when Constantinople was taken by the Turks, that a whole period of history, which we could call the Greco-Roman culture, from our European perspective, yeah, the, the Greco-Roman uh, culture, going back to approximately the 8th century BC, that really comes to a, a kind of an end in the uh, 15th century. And so you see in the Italian Renaissance, it's like a kind of autumnal flowering that happens there. So in incredible amounts of, of beauty in the world, in the world of, art, of the arts, for example, um, in many different ways, you know, with uh, Leonardo and uh, Michelangelo and the various other painters and sculptors. But it's a real uh, flowering, like, like you have in autumn, but it's the end of something. It's not something that goes forward to the future. And when they try to take that forward to the future in, in for example, architecture, um, then what, what Europe then experienced was, well, Georgian architecture, classical architecture based on Vitruvius and classical models, you know, very static, very non-dynamic. Um, or many of the, uh, you know, the mathematical images which came into European gardening and such things, you know, in the French gardening in particular uh, in the 15th, 16th, 17th centuries. So this was all coming from the Greco-Roman culture. It wasn't new in any way. Um, there were one of the, the few things that was really new, of course, that came in that in that period was perspective. Um, but the you know the Greeks and the Romans hadn't had perspective in the way that the Europeans developed it uh, in the late Middle Ages. Yeah, it's fascinating. Um, I want to go back to Christianity. Yeah, sure. Um, you you hear all sorts about the figure of Jesus. A, a lot of a lot of the sort of people in in esoterica, the they will downplay uh, Jesus either from mm. a historicity point of view, mm. or they'll say the Bible's all allegory. There's no there's no truth in it. Um, and uh, this is what I'm really struggling with at the moment. Right. Mm-hmm. How do we? What, what's your view? I mean, do you are, do you follow like a certain branch of Christianity as far as you know and all the tenets that go with it, like the uh, the virgin birth and the the resurrection uh-huh. and all the what? No, 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 I don't. What's um, what's no, your no. like reading of Steiner? What's how has that informed your your take yeah. on Christianity? Yeah, um, I mean, I didn't have a Christian upbringing. I mean, like many English people of my my generation, you know, we just uh, celebrated in inverted commas Christmas uh, in 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 terms of Christmas trees and uh, presents and um, Easter was Easter eggs. You know, we didn't go to church. We uh, I didn't have a Christian upbringing in that sense, and 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 my schooling was so savage that um, and so hypocritical that um, you know it, we had. A Christian service every morning, and then we had corporal punishment for the rest of the day, <laughs> and, and, and that kind of put me off for many, many years. Yeah, I mean, having that day after day after day, right? Um, that really put me off Christianity, uh, and I think a lot of people, people in my generation, were. And I also didn't come across any people who, at that time in the sixties, who I could say were in my own life were. Um, say, upstanding Christian priests or, or representatives of, of the faith, yeah. But it was, again, 
it, it was a gradual process, really, Phil. That when I was in Japan, for example, I noticed that although Japan was uh, nominally a Buddhist culture or Shinto culture, that's the native Japanese religion, um, pre-Buddhist, uh, I noticed, however, that there was even in things like uh, TV dramas and the like and, and movies, that there was a sense of what you could, what, what I as a Westerner recognize as the motif of, of, of crucifixion and resurrection, in the sense that you saw again and again the people going through tremendous pain and suffering and then coming out the other side or meeting evil in, in, in really uh, difficult ways and then getting through that, yeah, in, in, again, various different ways, either by transforming the person who'd done evil to them or um, in, some, in some sense gaining a kind of victory over that, yeah. Are there no and parallels was, to, um, uh, of that in the Eastern traditions? Then? Is that a very Western kind yeah, of well, I happening? Think I think the big difference, uh, not Ben, isn't it, right? Yeah, hi, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I think that was um, a big difference, Ben, between uh, Christianity and Buddhism. That In Buddhism, there's very, very little said about the whole question of evil, yeah. Very little at all. I mean, you 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 hear that Mara, the the uh, the, the sort of a, a somewhat of a demonic figure, tries to prevent the Buddha from uh, gaining enlightenment, and you know, at the point where he's about to break through, and so on. Yeah, but there's very little of that. Yeah, and whereas, as you know, Christianity, the G- Jesus goes through. Well, some of the worst things that human beings can throw at each other, and it's not only in terms of of uh, discrediting him verbally, but actually real serious physical torture and eventually death. Um, and and that I found also is is a very big uh, and very important phenomenon that the East, uh, the, the whole special. I mean, if you look, for example, at you know Eastern Buddhist iconography. It's all in the sense of beauty and glory and and things which are statues which are light filled and the like. Yeah? Mm. Whereas if you look in the in the West, you see how Christianity Christian iconography itself goes through uh, an evolution from the early Byzantine uh, iconography, where you see cr- the Christ as 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 cosmic judge or Pantocrator. Um, the king on the throne yeah Mm. surrounded everything is in gold and then you go forward in into the middle ages and you come into to to western europe and then you come to the figure of the man of sorrows you um you come to the uh, the paintings of grunewald for example which is you know pretty even now is is pretty hard to look at it's it's blood sweat and tears it's Mm. pain sorrow and suffering it's agony it's it's all of this, you know, and that is all within the Christian uh, development of of Christian consciousness in in the West. Very different from what you have in the East. Yeah, yeah the and, uh, uh, sorry, I was going to say it in our intro video, uh, the f- picture that flashed up at the end was the Christ Pantocrator from Saint Catherine's Monastery. It's uh, right. mm-hmm. in uh, Israel. I can't remember where it is now. Not, it's not Hebron. Sinai, Sinai. Isn't that in the Sinai, isn't it? It's in the Sinai, yeah. And and it's a really, it's, I think it's the earliest surviving Byzantine piece of of iconography. And what's cool about it is you can put a mirror down the middle of it and it sort of reflects this dual nature. Like you described, like the judge, the sort of uh, deity judge, and then the sort of human 
side on on the other side of the image, which is really yeah. cool. Yeah, that's cool. Well, I mean, I think you know, going back to your your question, um, there was this this issue of for me this issue of uh, crucifixion and resurrection, to put it generally. Yeah, but of course, what for example Steiner says about crucifixion and resurrection is much more specific. And for him, it, it's never what Jesus taught that's important. It's what Jesus did, or rather what Christ did through Jesus. And another big difference uh, with conventional Christianity is that he, he was very uh, emphatic. That, you know, there was no virgin birth. There was no Christ, the solar logos, was not born of a human woman. Uh, the Christ, the solar logos, entered into the man Jesus at the baptism in the Jordan. Wow. And there is still a kind of memory of that, you see, in the Eastern Orthodox Church, the fact that they make a very big deal of Epiphany, which is you know, 6th, uh, 6th of January, yeah? which is both the celebration of the three kings coming to one of the Jesus children. That's another point. There wasn't one Jesus child, there were two. And and uh, because there are two gene- Jesus gene- genealogies, yeah, and um, and then also that was the date of the baptism in the Jordan. Whereas we in the West we focus on the other genealogy, if you will, the the uh, um, the genealogy that leads to uh, one of the other two Jesus children, yeah, and then of course. When these two children, or, or rather, when one of these, these two children becomes twelve years old, we have the scene of the um, in the temple where the uh, Jesus is found schooling them. The, exactly, yeah. And this astonishes everybody because it's a case of, well, where did he get this from? Uh, all this wisdom. Yeah? They grow up and so fast. Kind of points out that that's because at that point one of the two children died. And one of those two children was uh, one of these two children was the the reincarnate was it was a human child it was a, was a reincarnation of Zarathustra. Whoa! Okay, so this 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 child had had many 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 incarnations on Earth, and one Whoa. of them was Zarathustra. So that was a great deal of wisdom was in, was included with that child, yeah. But that child. Um, that child then merged, so to speak, with the other child, who was a child had had no, who had had no incarnations at all previously. So this child had incarnated for the first time, and this explains why suddenly this child had uh, this incredible wisdom. So, in effect, there were two Jesus children, and there were two Jesus families. And actually, if you look, you can even find, I'm sorry, I can't remember off the top of my head now the name of the painter, um, but there was even the painting in the Italian Renaissance, which hints very much at these two children and this mystery, because it really is a mystery. Um, There's a book, by the way, which I would recommend to anybody interested in this by a man called David Overson. You may have come across this. How do do you spell that? How do you spell uh, that too? O-V, David, O-V-A-S-O-N. And uh, he also wrote a very interesting book uh, called The Secret Zodiacs of Washington, D.C., which has a bit of a wacky title, but the content of it is really incredibly well-researched. Um, but anyway, this, this book I'm mentioning now 
is about the the two Jesus children, specifically about the mystery of the two Jesus children. Um, and he goes into it in great detail. So this is a deep hidden mystery which is which belongs to esoteric Christianity. Two Jesus families, two Jesus genealogies, two Jesus families, two Jesus children, which then become one at the age of 12. And then that one human being goes on to the baptism in the Jordan. And it's interesting, isn't it, that the Bible tells us virtually nothing, well, nothing in fact, about what happened to Jesus between 12 and 30. And then at the uh, baptism in the Jordan, what happens there is that the, the, the ego, if you will, the self of this, uh, this, G- this Jesus young man is given up and is, re- is replaced into, that, that, uh, into his physical vessel, into his physical uh, vehicles, incarnates the solar logos for just three years. So the solar logos in, incarnates into 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 Jesus for three years only. Yeah, there's and a lot. Goes through the, again, goes through the mystery of Golgotha. So you know, this is obviously most traditional Christians will say, "Well, this is complete." This, is, I, I mean, I would have been burned at the stake <laughs> in the Middle Ages, and so would Rudolf Steiner, yeah. and most biblical fundamentalists in America and elsewhere, or Britain too wouldn't warrant this for a moment. Um, but as far as I'm concerned, you know, I just look at what the fundamentalists say and I, I look at their uh, their biblical uh, studies and the arguments they put forward and I, I look at Rudolf Steiner's Christology and I know which makes more sense to me. And in the end, we've only, we can only test this by, our, by the use of our own reason and by the use of our own experience, right? There's a heck of a lot to unpack there. Isn't there? You've broken um, Phil. Yeah, you've completely broken my head. Uh, right. So, two two children. Oh, is this? Are we talking twins? Are we call, talking Jesus and Thomas, or Jesus and James, no, no, or is it no, two no, in no, one? What's no, no, they're, no, no. They're not. They're two families. Oh, so, is this you know, the, example, the the priestly example, line? The shepherd, the shepherd, exactly. Exactly. The shepherds come to one child. The three kings come to another child. These are different children. You see. Um, when you start to when you start to see this, a lot of things begin to make sense. Yeah, it's no sheep in uh, the desert. So, Sorry. so, so there's, <laughs> there's the, the the kingly line, presumably yeah. from David, from King David, and then yeah. a priestly line that goes back what, to to Moses or Aaron. Yeah, yeah, the priestly line. Yeah, right. So the kings visit the descendants of David. The shepherds visit. The descendant of Moses. Yeah, the 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 the, the so-called wise men who come from um, well, it's, come from where? Come from the Magi? Yeah? Yeah. Come from Chaldea, which at that time was within the Persian cultural uh, region. Um, they knew that that Zarathustra, and now we come to another big issue: that the being who was Zarathustra was reincarnating. Wow. The other point that that Steiner brings into Christian esotericism, he said that, you know, reincarnation now has to return to the West. Because you probably know, you know, I mean, the the ancient pagan Celts, they were familiar with the concept of reincarnation or transmigration of souls. Mm -hmm. Um, And there was a reason why... And this is very profound that the West had to, as it were, lose reincarnation for a while. And that whole idea had to be pushed out of Christianity and pushed out of Western culture by the church. 
And then why now it has to come back in? And it's absolutely urgent and crucial that it comes back in. Yeah? Um, I'm not saying, of course, that it was Rudolf Steiner that, that, that uh, brought back reincarnation. I mean, you can find, I think, one of the very first people who began to talk in the, in the West about reincarnation uh, was uh, the German uh, writer uh, Lessing in the late, 19, uh, late 18th century, yeah? Uh, Lessing, L-E-S-S-I-N-G. Um, but Steiner's, Steiner was very, was very insistent that there, it's really vital that reincarnation comes back now um, because a, a certain enormous process is taking place. Um, how can I explain this in a, in a nutshell to make it simple? It is that the, approximately 3,000 years before Christ, you could... We all know the band, the rock band, The Doors, you know, and people know, well, that comes from uh, The Doors of Perception and you have William Blake and and, and so on, right? Mm. Um, But The Doors of Perception, what are they? The Doors of Perception were that, that that's a reference to the fact that ancient peoples, when they were born, they more or less had natural clairvoyance. So when people were born, the spiritual world was all around them. And even today, some little children still have some of something of this experience here. Not many, perhaps, but some still do. And they, in other words, they can communicate with uh, elemental beings or they see their angel or they see the spiritual world. They perceive the spiritual world. Well, our ancestors, many, if not most of them, could do that. But around about 3000 BC, those doors of natural clairvoyance, as we descended more and more deeply into this material world, they had to close off. And to the point where, by the time of Christ and the Roman Empire, we were deeply into uh, materialism. Of course, by the 19th century, we'd go into materialism even even deeper. In fact, we'd go down below nature into what Stein would call subnature, with the discovery of electricity and magnetism and so on. But they were already deep in there at the time of the Roman Empire. Well, you just got to think about what the Roman Empire was like and compare it to ancient Egypt or ancient Persia, ancient India, ancient China. You know. What was the Roman Empire like? The Roman Republic. Roman Republic even more than the Roman Empire. It, it's a deeply grounded culture. It focuses on the material world. Yeah. Um, not the spiritual world in the, in the way that the Indians were focused on the on the spiritual world. Yeah? So... Um, the humanity at that point had come really down to earth. And uh, we were in danger, as it were, of losing our connection with the spiritual world altogether. And so the Solar Logos incarnated into Jesus Christ at that, in, sorry, into Jesus, the human being Jesus, because he needed to effect something, he needed to do something not give a teaching about love and compassion, which had been given by many teachers, Eastern Oriental teachers before, including the Buddha himself. He had to actually reverse or change the direction of the entire of the, the entirety of humanity. So that we ourselves would be having become, as it were, crucified on the cross of matter, we the whole of humanity would now begin gradually, of course, to resurrect. Yeah? And this will be a long process taking many millennia going on into the future, just as the whole coming down to to the mystery of Golgotha, coming down to the cross, 
that also had taken many millennia. So it's it's not just Christ being who went through this whole process with us, and he'd actually accompanied us through all this process of the incarnation of ourselves, the incarnation even of the planet condensing out of the spirit deeper and deeper into matter, and we human beings doing the same with it. Yeah? And of course, we can if we find this is all too bizarre then, you know, I think we can actually experience something of this because we actually all went through it. We all went through being little children and becoming teenagers. We remember, uh, more or less, what, what we were like as teenagers and what kind of experiences we went through as teenagers, what it means to be a teenager and why teenage, teenagers don't skip anymore. You know, they don't skip. They walk around as if the world is on their shoulders, many of them. They're... They're, they talk in monotones, they're, they're miserable, they get suicidal, and so on and so forth. You know, well, you know all that. But if you compare that with the consciousness of a three-year-old or a five-year-old, hmm. you know, you, you can see that the, the, the child in growing up in university commerce actually goes down in terms of the, the body grows up, but the consciousness, in a certain sense, constricts. It becomes materialistic. And and the human being in that sense recapitulates the whole process of the human spirituality. So this is what Christ came to help us to overcome, as it were. Now, the Christian church, of course, traditionally has expressed that in terms of Christ came to save us from our sins and the original sin of Adam and Eve and that whole story, the story of the fall. Um and of course, there was a fall. There was a fall from the spirit into the matter, into matter. So we gradually forgot the spiritual world and we gained something. We gained natural science, like we were saying before, the, the 17th century. We gained the world of technology. But we've now got to the point where if we're not careful, technology is going to destroy us. And that's where we could get into a conversation about, you know, Klaus Schwab and the WEF and so on and so forth. Yeah. Um, but that's where we're going. That's why this 21st century, 21 centuries after Christ is so important. But Steiner is saying that we have to realize that, that already in his time, the, the doors of perception were now opening again. Yeah? Right. So gradually, from the 20th century onwards, you're starting to get human beings who are born with the faculty, once again, of natural clairvoyance. The problem was that when this happened in the West, because of the past 2,000 years of Western culture, Western, young, Western people were not able to make sense of this. So West, many Western people were beginning to have experiences that they were crossing the threshold unconsciously, more or less unconsciously, into the spiritual world, having all kinds of bizarre and weird experiences which they couldn't make sense of, seeing beings, hearing voices, and all the rest of it. Yeah. And that's increased since Steiner's time, and it's going on increasing. And our traditional Christian teaching makes, doesn't help us to understand that, not at all. The, the people who rely on the, on the word of the Bible only, the word of Scripture, in my experience, it cannot help people to understand uh, what is happening to them or what's been happening these last hundred years. 
And I guess it's it's been tinkered with so much over the years, hasn't it? You know, with the, whether it be the ecumenical councils or, you know, the selection of which books are going to make the cut and which books aren't. You know, we could go yeah, down yeah. the sort of the Gnostic route, all those Gospels, yeah. Gospels of Thomas and whatnot that didn't make it. You know, and these are decisions made by men. What What's yeah. going to be the teaching, you know? Exactly, Phil. And, and there Stein makes a very good point when he says that, for example... You know, as I said before, we, we lose something, we gain something. So when we, we gradually lost this direct ability to see into the spiritual world, we gained the faculty to, to think for ourselves as individuals. Mm. And you can see, you only got to look at the development of human art, right? If you look at Greek art or Egyptian art, and you compare their portrayal of the human being with the portrayal of the human being you see in, in Roman art of, say, the third century or even the first century, but particularly the, 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 the later Roman centuries, you look at the mosaics, you look at the faces, you're looking at individuals, right? With people with personalities. You look at Greek art, even the most beautiful. Um, Athenian art of, say, the 5th century, you're looking at perfect bodies, perfect, tremendous technique, but you're still looking at types. And when you go back even earlier to Egyptian art, then you're looking there at almost cosmic forms. You know, you're looking at something which is not even, despite the massiveness of it, it's somehow not quite on this planet. Yeah. <laughs> um, but when you come to that Roman art, then you feel this is a person. This is a personality. And, and of course, that goes on in European art through, to, through the, the Renaissance, yeah? And sim- so at that time, in the centuries, the early Christian centuries after Christ, the theologians and the so-called doctors of the church, they were now able to think for themselves as human beings. But that also meant they began to make very understandable human errors in their their thinking because their thinking was now becoming increasingly intellectual. They'd substituted intellectual thinking for the the spiritual vision which previous uh, uh, generations of human beings had had. Now, today, many people, particularly again in the New Age uh, or in the 60s, I could see this already, people would say, oh, that's terrible. You know, it's terrible that they'd lost, you know, that they had they had no view. Look at these arguing and even persecuting each other, calling each other heretics and so on and so forth. Well, yeah, it was pretty ugly, you know. They, they used to fight each other, they used to anathematize, they used to eventually kill each other and yeah. so on. Albigensian well, crusade. Yeah, absolutely. One of the worst examples, if not possibly the worst. You know? But um, going back to the time of the early church and the church councils, that was happening because they were thinking for themselves. They were thinking in an intellectual way. They were no longer regarding themselves as vessels through whom the gods spoke. Yeah, They were thinking as, as individual people. And so they began to argue. Mm. And that's where, or as you said, all these things began to be censored, cut out, etc., etc. Right. And the dogmas and the heresies and the anathemas. You're right. Yeah, got you. And you can trace that back, like you said, you know, from the church fathers or from the council of Nicaea forwards through to the present day, it's still going on, which yeah. is is yeah. sad, but it's yeah. the way humans are. But um, sort of getting away from humans, I wanted to ask you about, we've been, about some of the nasty stuff, about yeah. evil, about yeah, Lu- right. Lucifer, Ariaman. Uh, Sorat is one that I came across, came across yeah. the other day who I, I've never heard of Sorat before. 
But um, I believe uh, Steiner was sort of involved in trying to describe these characters and what their relevance is and maybe what we need to be looking out for in the current day. Well, absolutely, because, I mean, again, you know, he he was... One of his points was that in this particular age of history, which is the since the 15th century, right? So from the 15th century going forward until about the fourth millennium, one of the major focuses of our period of history is in fact going to be the focus on what you could call good and evil. Now, I know some people say, oh, no, well, what a hackneyed subject, good and evil, you know, that binary. Why do we have to deal with that binary? <laughs> well, <laughs> the, the point is that, that good and evil is, is actually the question of, of freedom. There is no human freedom without evil. That's the whole role of evil in the world. You know, the, the, the Gnostics and some of those who came earlier on, unfortunately, they too had come to the point where, and this began already in Persia with the, with the Zarathustrians, yeah? uh, Zarathustrian religion, um, that they convinced themselves that there was, as it were, almost like a parallel evil cosmos. So there was a good cosmos and a bad cosmos. There was a light cosmos and a dark cosmos. Um and that's not how it is. The question is that if there is, if there is to be a, a humanity that finds its way to a cosmos and a humanity of love, this has to happen through human free choice. Yes. And that can only happen if there is, you know, there is a darkness, there is a shadow, there is a resistance against that human free choice. Yeah. Otherwise, we remain for all time puppets of God. Yeah, exactly. that's, not what actually, that's not what God wants for us. Uh, God wants us to find his... I mean, we see this even in, in some of the Bible stories, you know, the prodigal son and the like, yeah, that God wants us to find our own way back to him, her, it. Yeah. And the free will is, is the key point. I've said it a million times on this podcast already, but my favourite quote from the Gulag Archipelago, Solzhenitsyn, the line between good and evil runs through the centre of every man's heart, and it's absolutely that's true. true. We all think we, we all love to think that we're good and we're good people, but when the yeah. test comes, a lot of people fail, and the and the everyone, every single one of us, is capable of doing horrendous, horrific things. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, what 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 humanity learned to do in the in the the again from the Western perspective, but you can also see this from. I mean, I could talk about Asian parallels as well. Yeah. And it's very, very clear in, say, the 5th, 6th, 5th, 4th centuries BC, for example, is humanity learned gradually to think for itself. And by the 4th century AD, this was really, really happening. In, in the, uh, the, the, those centuries BC, you know, six, six, uh, six, Py- in the West, for example, people like Pythagoras yeah, and that time, the Greek uh, pre-Socratic philosophers, Humanity begins to think for itself. It's a slow process, but it begins. Um, and that is something which... Uh, it, it, it's a process which has to go on. And it, in that period, humanity, be, be, um, humanity becomes really concerned with the question of truth and untruth. Yeah? Um, what is what? It, for example, they were particularly concerned with the truth or the untruth of birth and death. What happens at birth and death? What happens when we die? Um, 
what is the whole process of human life from birth to death? What is the truth about birth and death? These questions really concern people in that period. I mean, you could say that's a kind of a binary, the gate of the moon, birth, the gate of the sun, death, yeah? um, Gabriel, Michael, these two archangels who stand at, the, at these two gates, as it were. Yeah. Um, and then, and in our time, however, the question is not so much, although, of course, obviously, truth still is very, very important. Of course it is. But the real question for us now, now that we can think for ourselves, it's not just a case of thinking for ourselves. I mean, it doesn't matter how clever you are and how much you can think for yourself. If you're not a moral human being, you'll put your newfound capacity to think at the service of evil or the service of stupidity. I mean, think of all the really clever young computer nerds, for example, at the age of 12 or 13. You know, they're brilliant. Yeah. They may be brilliant on their computers at, at that age, but they may not be very ethically developed as, as young people. Yeah. But then we've got to put our, our capacities to think for ourselves at the service of the good. So we come into the question of what is good and evil? And how can evil be not so much, tran- not so much overcome and destroyed, but transformed? And that's the deep, the deep sense of the Manichaean question. Many people confuse Manichaeism with this, what I was saying before, parallel universe, good, evil. But the, I think the deeper understanding of Manichaeism is about it, is about entering into evil so that you can transform it from within. And that's going to take us a long time, way on into the fourth century and beyond. Sorry, the fourth millennium and beyond. So that's our, our, our task for now. Wow. Do you know, I just, I could, I just could go on for another hour, but we've done an hour already. It's uh, fascinating, Terry. And we didn't talk about Ariman either. Oh, gosh, yeah, we didn't. Yeah. Well, wow. I mean, do you want to do five minutes on, on that before we just round that off? Oh, go on then. <laughs> go on then, Terry. Tell us about <laughs> Ariman and Lucifer, if you could. The white hand. Well, and if, if, you can, if you can squeeze Sorat in, that'd be even better. <laughs> Fine. Okay. <laughs> Well, because it's important for us to understand uh, the forces of evil, and Steiner did a great deal to help us to understand these forces, yeah? Um, two of those forces, for example, are in this. You'll find, can you see that? Lucifer the, and Araman? Yeah, Araman. Lucifer and Araman, yeah. There's a course of, uh, what is it, about five lectures uh, in 1919, yeah, by Lucifer and Araman. How to understand Lucifer and Aaron? Those are two of the forces of evil that we have that we deal with in the world. Yeah? Lucifer obviously is a familiar name to us. Aaron is not. By Aaron, Steiner really means the being who, in the West, we call Satan. These are not the same being. And the Christian Church in the early Christian centuries, because of those reasons I mentioned earlier, they not only lost direct vision into the the higher worlds, the worlds of the angels, they also lost vision into the worlds of the demons in the, in the demonic realm, so to speak. Yeah? So they lost discrimination there, and they gradually fused these beings yeah? and, and regarded them, Beelzebub, Mammon, Lucifer, Aram, and they're all the same thing. Um, and, and, and particularly the devil, uh, all of these become the one being yeah, for, yeah. for Bible fundamentalist Christians. Yeah? And Steiner says, no, these are not the same thing. And you can understand them very simply, and they're in your own hands. And the one is this, the fist. If you make a, right, a fist with your right hand and the other is with your left hand, 
you make this, for example. And what he meant by that was that they are the, the two principles of radical contraction, which is the fist, and radical expansion, which is the waving hand. If you do it rad, uh, waving rather than just holding your hand like so, yeah, I mean, you can yeah. do it that way, then um, it, it's more, it's clearer. Um, because this is more mobile and, and more fluid, right? Whereas this is obviously the radical fist is the most contracted. And that's what these two forces of evil are. Radical, con- and they are beings. Yeah? They're not abstractions. Uh, contraction and, and expansion are just abstract concepts. But these are actual beings. Actual yeah? external uh, beings. Absolutely as real as you and me, only yeah, even more so, so to speak. Yeah? And, and so if you think of the most radically contracted, logical, hard-brained scientist and the most off-planet fantasy, illusion, dreamy artist, then, you know, you've got a kind of a a poor stereotype of these two forces. But we all of us tend in one of these two directions. Right. We We incline in one of those two directions. And, of course, the key is to find your balanced way between them. And interestingly, the, the Chinese do a, a gesture <laughs> like this. You know of that. You see yeah. it in martial arts, yeah? Now, they bring together this. Sometimes you see it like this. Sometimes you see it like this. But it's the plane and the point. Oh, the my word. and the periphery. And you bring the point and the periphery together, yeah? And, and you do that out of your center. And out of your center, you bow and show respect yeah, to the human being in front of you, right? It's your Tai Chi so salute, you, isn't it? It's the same. What? Tai Chi yeah. is a key, key salute point in, in Tai yeah, Chi. exactly. It's an ancient Chinese salute. But what you have there are these two fundamental forces, yeah, of mm-hmm. contraction and expansion. Those, by the way, Phil, are very much part of your rhythmic. Eurythmy is based to a large extent on, on the forces of contraction, expansion, and movement, yeah? Yeah. Okay, so then we got the two other forces. There are two other forces. These two forces of Lucifer and Ireland, Lucifer preys on our feeling life. He seeks to seduce our feeling life. Ireland seeks to use lies and deception to pollute our thinking life. So that's where the truth and the untruth comes in, yeah? So he particularly is concerned with leading us astray in, in, in understanding the truth about things. For example, materialism. If you think that the whole world can be explained by five-sense reality, that's a deception. That's a lie. And our natural science since the 17th century has been increasingly based on that, yeah? at least up until 1900, where we started to cross a certain threshold. But anyway, that's what, what Araman's concerned with. He's concerned with everything which has to do with lies and deceptions, particularly in the realm of science, finance, uh, media, uh, propaganda, uh, anything to do with deception and lies in the realm of thinking. And whereas, art, whereas Lucifer leads you into the realm of spiritual inflation, pride, arrogance, fantasy, illusion, right? Wow. So we've got two other forms of evil to deal with. Now, in the movie The Matrix, there are three of these forms of illusion, that, uh, sorry, of evil that Steiner talks about, which we can see portrayed very well in the Matrix movie. I'm sure both of you have seen them. Mm-hmm. Yeah? Yeah. You can see the Lucifer form in the being in, who in the Matrix movie is called the Merovingian. Mm-hmm. And the whole, the whole situation with the Merovingian and even the Merovingian's girlfriend. And then, you, whereas you see the Aramanic uh, or the satanic element in two forms. One is the human architect, architects, 
of the Matrix itself, who Neo meets, surrounded by TV screens. Remember that scene? Yeah, it looks like an English professor, doesn't he? Yeah. And then, and then the uh, the other form, which is more cosmic form, spiritual form in a certain sense, is the the machine god. When Neo goes in the third movie, he goes actually to see the god of the machines. Yeah. And these are the two forms, in a certain sense of uh, what's bound up with the whole realm of scientific inspiration, technological inspiration. This is coming from the Aramanic. We can't do without that. We need that. We need Araman. We need Satan even for the world of, uh, of scientific technological expansion. Uh, sorry, uh, contraction and, in, and inspiration. We need the Luciferic for the world of the arts, because Lucifer is a world of beauty, a world of fantasy, imagination, and illusion, if you're not careful. We need those. But Christ is the being who holds the balance between these two. And that's why Steiner created this remarkable nine-meter-high wooden sculpture of the representative of humanity between these two forces. So those are those, are those two. And the third one is uh, the Azuras. And for some reason, which I myself haven't quite got to the bottom of yet, is that Steiner always referred to these beings as plural, not as one Azura, but always as plural. And we see this being in the Matrix movie in Agent Smith. Mm. And we see particularly by the end of the, the movie where Agent Smith rebels, in a, in a sense, against the, 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 the Matrix, and he seeks to kind of seeks to become himself out of the Matrix. But what does, what does uh, Agent Smith become he becomes legion mm. he becomes mm. plural and what is major smith about more than anything else total annihilation mm. he's about the question of annihilation destruction and the third force of evil steiner was saying is that force which seeks to destroy, destroy the human us. physical body so that the human spirit can no longer function in this physical world through a human physical vessel, do you see? Yeah. So whereas Araman seeks to destroy or pervert our thinking, Lucifer seeks to pollute and seduce our feeling. The Azuras seek to annihilate our um, our physicality, our physical bodies, and the last of the uh, of the of the there's four, more. Four, <laughs> is yeah, that not enough? <laughs> this has to do with the Sorat you were talking about. Right, yeah. Right, Sorat. Um, Sorat relates to the number six 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 in chapter okay. thirteen of the book of Revelation. Okay, mm. the the two horned beast who uh, is there in in the book of the Revelation. Um, and this again would take a, too long to experience, too long to explain more time than we, we have now. But the, the, the key to get hold of with this being is that this being is not, is, it make, attacks us not through the physical body, not through our thinking, not through our, not through our feeling, not through our thinking, which by the way, our thinking is rooted in our, in our life body. Yeah? It's related to our, our life body and our memory. But Sorat, the Sorat being, the 666 being, attacks our very ego. What this being is seeking to do is invert our self. Our self, our ego, is actually our possibility to be a sun being in the center of ourselves. It's through that which we make connection with the Christ. But the, the 
um, the, the Sorat being wishes to invert our ego. And this is why Steiner said this being is that the being or, which is related to black magic. And that's why we see it in the symbol of, for example, uh, Azov in Ukraine right now. Azov the black Battalion, sun. the Black Sun. The Black yeah. Sun, yeah. The, this is the Black Sun motif, yeah. It, the black sun is the, the symbol of dark occultism, mm. uh, where the, the sun at the center of your being is black and is dark, and it's the symbol of black magic. Um, and that's what that fourth principle of evil is about. So in this modern age, it's re- it really behooves us to try to understand these differences and to identify these differences in the world around us and the way that these four beings uh, work and of course, at the present time, we we see them, uh, yeah, working overtime. Yeah? But three of them, I think, we can recognise pretty clearly in the um, in the uh, Matrix movie, for example. Well, Terry, it's been absolutely fascinating. Definitely, and, uh, yeah, I've really enjoyed meeting you and talking to you. It's been an Thank absolute you. joy. Um, the website's been on the screen. If you've been watching, uh, if you're listening threeman.org the, the link will be in the show notes check out Terry's work mm-hmm. and uh, you know um, please keep in touch in fact stay on the line for us just for one minute Terry while yes. we play ourselves out yeah. and uh, like I said check the website out threeman.org got it thank right. you see Thanks you very much. Ben. our pleasure see you shortly yeah cheers it's Right then, we're back. The dwarf, the cripple, and the mother of madness. That's our chat with Terry Boardman from threeman.org. An interesting character. Fascinating, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I like the whole uh, two Jesus thing. (laughs) The twin Jesus. Yeah. The twin Jesus hypothesis. You're quiet again. I'm quiet. Yeah. How about now? Oh, that's too close. All right. Yeah, move it away. I'll I'll raise your level up. Raise me. We should do this like before we start. Really, raise, raise, raise. It's because I don't talk during most of it. That's better, isn't it? Oh, can hear myself. No, that'll, nasal tones. That'll have to do. Yeah, link in the show notes as ever. Um, check out Terry's work at threeman.org. He's been doing some stuff on Ukraine and uh, a lot of sort of uh, current event stuff. Evening, Nicholas. Nicholas travels. Who I believe is in Argentina at the moment. Hello. Aries, Aries, God of War, <laughs> good God of War. Yes, yes, ah, uh, yes. Yeah, so three man org. Uh, there's a blog on there as well. I think has his has his latest writings on. Yeah, um, which I um, saw a bit of earlier today. Cool. Um, yeah, good. Right, should we move on? Do some yes. uh, some housekeeping. Forwards. Housekeeping. The eternal march of progress. It's not seen here. <laughs> it's a value for value podcast. If you find this podcast valuable, please consider sending some value. There's uh, a myriad ways of doing this, and my favourite, as ever, every week. Can you guess what it is? It's word of mouth. It's word of mouth. Send someone a link. If you, if you, you know, know someone who's interested in hearing about two Jesuses, oh, wow. the priestly line, and, you know, the uh, kingly line. Kingly line. Kingly yeah. Line. Send them a link, a Spotify link, YouTube link, whatever. That helps. It helps us grow organically. Yes. Tell them to stick this 
all up in their ears. Yeah, just just pipe it through their oral canals. Absolutely. Uh, I like when people purchase uh, items of uh, material goods from the uh, from the Amish loot chest. Yeah, the merch store. Link in the show notes. Get yourself a current grape T-shirt, literally a communist hoodie, three weeks to flatten the earth mug, and I've not done it yet, but I need to do it. The uh, the bacon nuts. Yes, I was going to say sales of the literally a communist merchandise have, uh, have dropped off of late. I have no idea why. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we're looking why? to broaden our offering, I think. Because <laughs> I'm literally a communist. Yes. Not really. Yes, it's quite. satire. It's satire. That was Ash Sarkar, a loony leftist. She'll be in prison now, right? Oh, for why? I don't know. Communism? No, she'll be on mainstream TV. <laughs> Given a spot, you know, she's like, uh, she was part of the momentum movement, isn't she? A mouthpiece. Uh, yeah, a, you know, a spokesmodel. One of them. Join the Discord server for chattery with your fingers through the medium of type. Yeah, that's the best way to become a producer. Drop your eavesdropping ways and become a producer of the show. Help provide us uh, with content, video clips, news articles. Audio clips, stuff that we can play here and discuss in the second half. Engage. As we profit, you yourselves become profits. Mm. <laughs> request a birthday shout-out. Maybe you've got a jingle request. Maybe, um... Maybe we fucked up and you've got to tell us where we've gone wrong. I mean, yeah. Please do, because, you know... We, we heard you have corrections. <laughs> Absolutely. And addendums. Encourage endums. Yeah, uh, you can ask requests for some focused <clears throat> chi. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a service that we offer. There's no other podcast in the world that offers focused chi. I don't think there is. Direct into your spiritual soul hole. You know, maybe you've got a job interview coming up or a big presentation. Maybe you're feeling a bit down and you need some positive energy sending in your direction. Pop a a request in the Discord with your terms and uh, we will focus our chi as a community in your direction for your given aim. It's 100% effective, never failed. And it's an excuse for us to play a funny jingle. Absolutely. Present your soul holes accordingly. Yeah. Uh, if you're on video platform, YouTube, Odyssey, uh, Rumble, BitChute. VHS. <laughs> yeah, Laserdisc. <laughs> Subscribe. Like. Let us know what you think in the comments. What are we getting wrong? What would you like to see? What would you like to hear? Maybe you've got a guest suggestion. We have a thread in the Discord for guest suggestions. We do. It pays off. We only have three sets of eyes and ears to monitor the media landscape for potential victims of this podcast. Absolutely. Like Terry. So, if you see someone, pop in the Discord and we will endeavour... To get the you know whoever it is on, yep, and uh, you can even ask questions like, if you join the Discord, you get a sneak preview on Monday morning who's going to be next week's guest, and then you can even submit questions. And if we get the oh, chance, yeah, we will we'll awesome. Um, show artwork, yes, yes, I'm a fan of art. We have uh, different show artwork for every episode, and again, the Discord is where you can submit your show artwork and bunion note After I thought he was maybe dead. <laughs> we didn't have anything, any submissions for weeks, but Bunyanut decided to just splurge, splurge all over the Discord. This is his first submission. That's some kind of twisty boy. Uh, I don't know, yeah. Is uh, it like a caduceus, like a Japanese kind caduceus? Of. It's, it's two. Got some uh, constellations. Uh, Eastern looking 
people, artworks. They've got they conjoined it at the skirt and the right and left arm. Do you recognise this by the right hand side? Uh, midway. Is that the Pleiades? One, two, three, five, six, seven. No. Do you recognise that off the stones, round seven stones? The snooker, the racking oh, up? Oh, is that it? Pool balls? Pool balls. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, next. He's mashed oh, a load yeah, up. Yeah, see what he's done there. Is that a Kabbalic tree of life? It is, yeah. The Yatshiroth, is it called? I can't remember. There's a double helix spiral. The DNA. Uh, Watson and Crick. This, I think, um, this image, in fact, it might be clear on the next one. Trip. No, it's not that one. I think this is actually some of Steiner's art. And yeah. uh, it's you can't see it on this small, it's small here, but I think this is a depiction of Araman. Oh, is that the 10-foot the ten thing? The, or the 9-foot wooden job? Yeah, I think uh, so. Maybe. Terry was on about. Could be. Could be. We've got this. Very simple. Yes. This is, we have, uh, it's like a kite. Okay, it's yeah. a kite with a circle in it. Christ at the top, Lucifer to the left, Araman to the right, stuck in the middle with you. <laughs> yeah. Sorat at the bottom. Right. I don't know where he's found this or whether he's drawn it himself, but it's simple and uh, powerful. It is. It's geometric. Mm, sacred geometry. Oh, here we are. There's the Araman. Look at that. Depiction. He's tall, isn't he? Look, he's just been... How busy know, has he been I'm, with the artwork? Which... Is he the snaky guy or the guy in the dress? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think he's the snaky guy. OK. I think. Oh, I'd be wrong. Who's that guy at the sun praying with the sun and the, there's five stars and some kind of speaker? Top right. <laughs> yeah. Top. I don't know. Maybe that's Michael. Maybe oh, that's Gabriel. There's a guy at the left and the stars are aligned above him. Yeah. And he's got a, he's had a crescent moon and a sun. Mm. We've seen that before in uh, with Ryan. Yeah, yeah. These are uh, common symbolic tropes. Um, oh. Yeah, there's the three. Now, I have a slight concern. I think this one's the best. Yeah. Would you agree? The mashup one? It's got the name, name of the guest, which is always good. Yeah. Um, now, I don't know what the copyright rules are on artwork. So... How long has Steiner been dead for? <laughs> Did he invent the double helix? <laughs> I mean, it's... So... The colours are different, it's fine. <laughs> well, what I have done is I've taken that and I've done this. Oh, right. Let's see. God, he, Terry even talks about the Matrix. I've put the Matrix background in there. Did you do that before he... Well, obviously. obviously. <laughs> <laughs> so I've just changed the colour profile a bit and, and mashed them, blended them together with this Matrix background, just oh, for okay. copyright reasons. Well, it's more on brand as well now, isn't it, with the blue? On brand? Oh, on my brand, God, you make yes. me feel dirty on when brand. you say that. Well, you've got to, <laughs> got to know your enemy, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> Aruman. Aruman. <laughs> the white hand of Aruman. I like the way he described it, too, with the, uh, you know, the, the wavy hand and the, the clenched fist. It's good, isn't it? Yeah. And well, the other one was scissors. Yeah, rock, paper, scissors, yeah. Yeah, or well, the sword. Maybe the, the scissors would be the sword, and the sword is your intellect dividing the truth from the deception. How do you like that? A little bit, I guess. Scissors are a sharp edge. 
Yeah. The sharp edge of your intellect, the sword from the tarot. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God, I'm not writing seven, you know. Uh, I'm just trying. Don't I know it? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Is there anything else you can do? Any other way of becoming a producer? I don't think there is, is there? I don't think there is, no. No. I don't think we've covered it all. Should we move on? Uh, (laughs) What about, um, you know, physical ways of becoming a producer? Like? Tossing things at us. Like? Currency? Yes. Toss a coin to your witch. Absolutely. Do it for the lads. The lads. 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 Do it. 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 Because, you know. Oh, we're northern and we're bloody miserable and the weather's fucking shit. It's been quite nice this week. Only you fuckers out there can save Blockland and keep this shit show going. So uh, send us a donation. Um, if you go to the armistinquisition.com, you'll find a donate button there. Sign up for uh, a recurring, sustaining donation. Send us a one off donation. It's up to you. Whatever you think this show is worth to you, if you get some value out of it, put a number on that value and return it to us. And we'll be eternally grateful. And you get a producer credit. In the show notes, and say, I have been a producer of the Arms Inquisition. We promise not to squander any gifts of monetary value. No. They will be invested in content. Well, yeah, this costs money to do. Not moon pies and penny whistles. (laughs) (laughs) Or cryptocurrency. No. No. Uh, So, right, shall we thank the producers for episode... 235. I think it's, it's time. Only right. Yeah, it's time. It's time to big up the man Dems. Yo. Uh, who've we got? We've got um, Bunyan Up, Bill, Helen, Nick, and Slicko. Thank you. Thank you. It's so amazing. In your. They are. Yeah. So amazing in their love. Literally. The best mate. Mmm. Bill Batman. support for for another week. Cheers. And, uh, Much appreciated. Yeah, it is. Okay, should we move on? Should we do some... Uh, what do we normally do now? Maybe some some headlines? Can That's we talk how? about whether it's possible to over, overdose on Gaviscon? Oh, why do you think maybe you're suffering? I've got... I keep getting, um, like, acid reflux. Right. It's probably because I eat loads of shite. But, um, yeah, I've been taking a lot of Gaviscon of late. I'm wondering if... Uh, any listeners out there understand the uh, LD50 of Gaviscon? <laughs> <laughs> so I can get, see if we can get, uh, you know, close to it, but not too close. Have you tried milk? Instead? Yeah. Uh, no. No? You ever tried, never used milk to settle your stomach, heartburn? The milk of magnesia. Just the milk of a cow. Milk of a... Mm, cow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I'll try that. I'll try that tonight. What's the LD50 of milk? 
Oh, well, there, there will be there one. There will be one, yeah. yeah like um, two gallons or something, probably. I reckon I could drink two gallons of milk. I think that'll probably make it worse. I think maybe just, you know, um, moderation, maybe? Oh, that's 20 pints. I'm not drinking that much. Have a moderate dose of milk. Right. All right. I'll try it. I'll, I'll let you know. All right. Fair enough. Milk chat. Okay, let's do some headlines. I've never been more optimistic in my life. News story. <laughs> what the hell happened there? Capital letters. A big news story. Uh, headlines. What have we got? Let's. Uh, what's this first one? Healthy young people are dying suddenly and unexpectedly from a mysterious syndrome as doctors seek answers through a new national register. Oh, I don't know. Sads. Sudden adult death syndrome. So, yeah. so there's sudden infant death syndrome, isn't there? As well, it's been around for a long time. Like 30 years. Yeah. And now this. Another thing to worry about. You know what? As far as I understand it, people have been dying for at least 100 years. Of mm-hmm. loads of stuff. That's we should just get it. Where's this from? Australia. So it's, it doesn't apply here, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think it's probably climate change related. Right. People aged under the age of 40, it's badly worded, being urged to go and get their hearts checked. So oh, yeah, you've got to get your heart checked. As soon as you hit 40, you're fine. You don't have to get anything checked. Oh, it's under the age of 40. Yeah, so once you hit 40, it's fine. Yeah. That's how I, that's how I read this. People aged under the age of 40 being urged to go and get their hearts checked. So anyone, as long as you're under 40... Are you going to do it? Are you going to get your heart checked? Like if you're like one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, urged. We've been urged. Being purged. No, he says. No, 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 no. Un- yeah, unexpected deaths in young people. A 31 year old woman who died in her sleep last year may have had SADS. Yeah. Like I said, it's, it's climate change. I won't worry about it. There's nothing you can do. Okay. Yeah. Uh, what else should we do? Well, I don't know, the next headline. <laughs> yeah, it's not... Uh... Oh, there we go. Cow and sheep burps to be taxed by New Zealand in World First. Oh, this this one is climate change, right? Yeah. The draft plan to tackle greenhouse gas emissions may be hard to stomach, as costs are likely to lead to higher meat prices. By our foreign staff. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent crediting, whoever, whoever did that. So, uh, what I want to know is how you uh, how are you going to measure that? Well, funny you should ask. Let's uh, let's dive deeper. Cow and sheep burps are to be taxed by New Zealand in a world first draft plan to put a price on agricultural emissions in a bid to tackle one of the country's biggest sources of greenhouse gases. The proposal would make New Zealand a large agricultural exporter, the first country to have farmers pay for emissions from livestock, the Ministry from Environment said. New Zealand, home to 5 million people, has about 10 million cattle and 26 million sheep. Nearly half of its total greenhouse gas emissions come from agriculture, mainly methane, but (coughs) agricultural emissions have previously been exempted from the country's emissions trading scheme, the carbon trading, cap and trade thing. Drawing criticism criticism from the government's commitment to stop global warming. Under the draft plan, put together by government and farm community representatives, farmers will have to pay for their gas emissions from 2025. Short and long-lived farm gas will be priced separately, although a single measure to calculate their volume will be used. The costs are likely 
to be passed down to consumers, potentially raising the price of meat. Well, that's the idea, isn't it? Well, obviously, yeah. I mean, if I was... A, you want to eat bugs. <laughs> if I was a, a gas farmer or whatever they are, mm. um, yeah, I'd, I'd, be, I'd be raising the price of my meat to pay that tax. Yeah, yeah. Just give more to the government and then they will sort out the... Uh, the global warming. That's the idea, isn't it? The is that tax. How it works. But, well, Those this is the how it works, isn't it? You <laughs> you give your tax to the government, and then they fix the warming. I'm no expert. And then we pay. You, you pay more as a consumer, so that the farmer can give more money to the government, and then they fix the warm. <laughs> turn the thermostat down. <laughs> okay, well, that seems reasonable. It's a fucking racket, <laughs> man. An absolute racket. Yeah. Did you see Bieber today? Yeah, he wants to Bieber. Bell's palsy or something. It's something weird. It's something uh, related. I've got the picture here. Justin Bieber cancels shows after half of face left yeah. paralysed. This is from The Guardian as well, a reputable news source. Yeah, it's been all over. It's it's big news. I mean, I wouldn't even recognise him if I... I, I wouldn't. I, I remember him being a sort of blonde blur. <laughs> baby, baby, baby. Yeah, he's only 28. We've got well, a, I wouldn't have aged him at 28 by the look of that patchy beard. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, Ramsey Hunt syndrome, it's called. Right. It's uh, Ramsey Hunt syndrome is, called by, is caused by the varicella zoster virus, VZV. The same virus that... Herpes. The same virus that causes chicken pox in children and shingles herpes zoster ah. in adults. Uh, in cases of Ramsey-Hunt syndrome, previously inactive or dormant varicella zoster virus is reactivated and spreads to affect the facial nerve. So it's a reactivation of a Ooh. dormant virus. Excellent. It's just he's having a really rough time of it, isn't he? I it's, don't know really who he is. Justin Bieber is a singer. Well, he is from a singer Canada. and he's, he was popular as a, as a child with the youth. I think he's still massive. Oh, okay. He's still a, a massive uh, artiste. Okay. But he's just come down with this. It's only it's not three months since his wife had a uh, blood clot. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. It's a, yeah, a stroke. It. Yeah. It's just weird, isn't it? People in the, you know, early and mid and late 20s getting shit like this. Strange. Anyway, let's move on. Because <laughs> I think I was listening to a reverend... This week's irreverent podcast. Oh, of course you had a you had a priest on last week, didn't you? While I was away, vicar. Sorry, uh, vicar. priest. I think yeah. the same. I think he, he's called himself a priest as well. Irreverent is uh, another UK podcast. It's like uh, Top Gear, but with priests. That sounds amazing. It is amazing, and uh, I've I was listening to him this week, and they were talking about sort of modern media and like Marvel and Disney stuff, and I thought, fuck, I'm on the wrong podcast. And it's actually Marvel is terrible at it at the moment. I, I, what was it? I went. To see, I can't even remember what it was. Doctor Strange, the sequel. Two. Two. Awful. Yeah. Awful film. I mean, yeah. I sat there. It was, what two and a half hours? <laughs> They're so long as well. That's the other thing. Woke lecturing. Yeah. yeah. Every little, as, as if we're stupid. Yeah. Yeah. If, yeah. All the time being dropped, being dropped. Dropped in, yeah. Um, Star Trek: New Frontiers, like Star Trek: Discovery, they're just—I mean, it's cardboard. Yeah, 
Yeah. Pick up a book. There's something, you know, pick up a classic. It's so much more interesting. Yeah. I think I've got a kindred spirit, though, in, in James Colhouse. Yeah, mate. I do prefer Father Ted, though, to be honest. <laughs> uh, oh, nice one. Should we do some Brandon clips? Fuck off, you can't. Oh, I know. You, some, uh, yeah, I didn't know what you were talking about then, eh, too. Let's go, Brandon. Yeah, yeah, I know. I remember that now. Do you remember that story? Yeah. What was it? Some people in America. Yeah. Am I, am I right? Uh Football game. Mm. Brandon is a footballer. Christ, I've gone too far. I'm in too deep. They were shouting, "Fuck off, Biden!" Fuck Joe Biden. Fuck Joe Biden. Right, and and then they said, "No, we weren't." We said we were saying, Let, "Let's go, Brandon." The news reporter. Right. Said, okay. The, the the chatting, "Let's go, Brandon." Oh, okay. They didn't want to let on that the crowd was shouting, "Fuck Joe Biden." And that's become a thing now for saying, um, fuck Joe Biden, let's go Brandon. Yeah, or just calling him Brandon, because it's media manipulation. Okay. There's thousands of people shouting, fuck Joe Biden. The media says they're shouting, let's go Brandon. Oh, OK. I because we can't, we can't show discontent with the current political... Well, that's like yeah. what happens in some other countries that aren't. It happens, every, happens everywhere. <laughs> it happens everywhere. It's the media manipulating what you see and hear. That's why people <coughs> go to alternative sources, um, such as podcasts. This podcast. Any podcast. The priest one. Um, top here with Vickers, man. That makes it sound amazing. You know. Well, the only thing they're missing is. I'm the son of the Pope. Son of the Pope. Going around the Nürburgring. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I've got some some clips. Joe Biden was on Jimmy Kimmel this week. Jimmy Kimmel is an American man in America. It's a comedian. He's got a TV show. Saturday Night Live. Fever. It's like a Letterman, Leno. Yeah, yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. A chat um, show. Uh, Joe Biden uh, was on there. And uh, I, got, I just got a couple of clips that I found interesting. The president interesting. went on a chat show? Yeah. Huh. Yeah, dangerous. Dangerous move. I, w- I would have thought so. Mm-hmm. You don't see the Queen on um, Celebrity Juice anymore. <laughs> You've got to bear in mind that um, the Kimmel show is of the left. He's not going to be given a rough time. Uh, right, it's not yeah. like him going on, I don't know. We on world <laughs> so, in one news. So, so Trump wouldn't have gone on Jimmy Kimmel. He used to go on like Fox, didn't he? He used to go on yeah, Fox. Yeah, which and... is a right, a right, yeah, exactly. Yeah, righty tighty, lefty loosey. Yes. <laughs> okay. Anyway, no so, question. So there's about a it. lot of major things we've done, but what we haven't done is we haven't been able to communicate it in a way that is. Uh, um, let me say it another way. Well, see, that's kind of perfect. Yeah, well, we haven't been able to communicate But look it. how the press has changed. Mm-hmm. Look how the press has changed. It has changed. Oh, listen, I, I get it. I know you get. You overstand it. Yeah. You don't just understand it. You overstand it. <laughs> but here's the deal. It's a shit joke, isn't it? It is. Here's the deal, though. I quite like overstands. <laughs> it's not the first time you've used it. That's I'm, the problem. I'm going to start using it. Fine. That's good. I will. Hashtag. I'll start using here's, here's a deal. Not a joke. Carl Pluter's <laughs> carnival. <laughs> Carl 
corn pot was a bad dude. Yeah. Oh my god. I'm gonna hole. You're a lion dog faced pony soldier. You risk more cases and more desks. Deaths. <laughs> I got hairy legs. Is what it is. Well it is what it is because you are who you are. That's why it is. Come on, man. And Corn Pop was a bad dude. That's enough. Continue. One of the things is that it's very difficult now to have a, um, even with notable exceptions, even the really good reporters, they have to get the number of clicks on, on, the, on nightly news. Mm-hmm. So instead of asking a question, anyway, it just, everything gets, gets sensationalized in ways that, but I'm convinced we can get through this. We have to get through it. And one of the things, look. I'm going to take a break and then we'll talk a little bit more. <laughs> I don't, don't mind. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We have some of those commercials. Quick, he's rumbling. He's rumbling. Go to break. Go to commercial. Clicks on nightly news reminded me a bit of um, downstreaming movies. Yeah, I, I picked that up. Yeah. It's like a, I don't know a misunderstanding of, of uh, you know, modern Online parlance. Yeah, I don't, what was he trying to say, do you think? Probably. It's on YouTube? Yeah, on the YouTubes, the interwebs, the BuzzFeeds. Yeah. Um, that was the first one, the commercial. And um, um, second clip, this is, I prefer this one. Uh, inflation is soaring. There's war in Europe. It's not as bad as it. Oh, it's not as bad as here, right? Is it in the states? I don't think. Oh yeah, is yeah. it? It's like eight percent. I thought we were like the worst Nine. country apart from Russia or something. There's no in it. Maybe one percentage point. Oh, uh, Ge- Germany's at seven point nine, I think. Right. It's, you know, if they're at seven point nine and we're at eight point four, like, well, where's China? It's like plus five point five. I don't know. <clears throat> or minus five. I don't know. I don't know what's good. Oh, about oh Christ! They contracted this quarter. Did they? Yeah, for the first time. So uh, they could be headed for a recession. All right. Because of the these these lunatic lockdowns they keep doing. You can't say lockdown. Why? Because it's static management style suppression. <laughs> <laughs> I'll call it loony lockdowns. You use okay. that. That's I'm too sorry. much of a t- tongue twister. S M S S. Right, okay. Uh, so, yeah, why is he so optimistic? Why is Brandon so optimistic? I've Sorry. never been more optimistic in my life, so I'll tell you why. I, why are you so optimistic? No, it I, makes no sense. No, it does. <laughs> Look at the kids. Look at the young people. Best educated, least prejudiced, most giving generation in American history. Turn on the television now. Turn on the, no, I'm serious. Right, let's to that. I'm serious. This is the kicker. Yeah. No, I'm serious. You turn on the TV. Look at the ads. When's the last time you saw biracial couples on TV? When's the last time you saw the way, I mean, people are selling products. They do ads to sell products. And they sell products when people, they appeal to people. This generation is going to change everything. We just got to make sure we don't give up. I'm sorry. <laughs> Biracial ads on TV. That's why he's so optimistic. Mm. It's not what's going, is it? It's not. No. Is it? It's nothing. <laughs> I would have probably prepared for this interview a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> I would just not do it. I don't know. I just thought it was strange that he went there. 
biracial ads on TV. And it's like, was there a, like a large clamoring for biracial ads on TV? Is it anything that new? I don't think it is. Um, I don't think so. No. Advertisement reflects society, doesn't it? So you're going to get... Ooh, well, no, I think we've we've inverted somewhat. I think it's more the um, the cart pulling the horse now. It's the advertisers wanting to fulfil their ESG score. Extrasensory deception. Environmental and social governance rating. Oh. Being woke. Removing all these sort of legacy characters like Uncle Ben. Can't have yeah, Uncle Ben. Have Uncle Ben, didn't he? Oh yeah, it's the Quaker Oats guy, whatever. <laughs> I, I, I didn't even notice. I didn't remember because now I remember a news story about it. <laughs> we covered it. I think the stuff Gollywog, right? <laughs> on the on the jam. Uh, Robinson's jam. Just... Yeah, it's it's nonsense. Anyway, yeah, let's move away from Brandon. Let's move to the UK. Uh, Bojo, the UK. Bojo survived the uh, no confidence vote. He did. There was a, a a coup against Bojo the clown, our dear leader. Yes, there was. Yeah, and he, and he survived. Shall we get a report from Deutsche Welle? Was it a resounding victory? They, they spun it as <laughs> who? Not Deutsche Welle. No, 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 those guys. No, no, no. That's maybe how Michael Gove would try to spin it. I think it was Truss or what's it? Doris. One? Doris. Doris. Oh, I got a report from DW. I like this one. They they seem to have like a one of their anchor anchors is some sort of android. Some sort <laughs> of AI. And therefore I can announce that the parliamentary party does have confidence. Yeah. Is that the Android? I'll speak uh, the in Graham Brady. You hear it right there, we've got the results in. Two hundred and eleven lawmakers voting in favor they do have confidence in boris johnson's leadership 148 however saying they do not let's go now to london and our correspondent charlotte chelsea bill she is standing by Live there. Charles, let me just go to you right now. Talk us through these numbers here. 211, yes. 148, no. Absolutely, those results just breaking now. I apologise, first off, if you can hear some background noise uh, oh, behind bit, them. There are some protesters here. You might hear them uh, throughout this. Yes. <laughs> Not a popular uh, result outside no. of... I wonder if that's the EU guy with the megaphone who protested the, uh, the Brexit thing. Yeah, you, Steve, you, I've got his met telephone him. number, yeah. yeah. Weren't you going to get him on the podcast? I tried, yes. He uh, obviously didn't come on and then, um, <laughs> then he didn't have anything to shout about for a while. But uh, he's from uh, Tunbridge Wells, I think, so I don't know if he's gone home and... He's there. Well, is, is he there? Well, it sounded like it him. It might be him. I would be there if I if I was a megaphone guy, Steve. Can't yeah. remember his last name. Mega, Steve. No Brexit, Steve. <laughs> that's that's what he's in my phone. <laughs> what do you make of uh, Bojo? Do you think he's going to survive the city out of the year? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think no? the problem they have is, uh, and I was thinking, there's this, no one else. <laughs> well, exactly. Yeah, could you imagine like? Um, 
any one of those those ministers in that in that role. Mm. And then I don't no, I don't think so. I think but I think rather than um him resigning, I don't think that's ever gonna happen. And no. I, I I think they'll probably try to do another confidence vote and change the rules so that it's within the twelve months as they've been threatening to do. Mm. Um but I think it's going to have to be some sort of snap general election. Oh, why would... Oh, do you think... What, you think he might call an election to um, sort of vindicate his own leadership? Yes. Yeah. Right. Which, you know, he might do. But then, obviously, what's what's going to happen then? And then, you know, I don't really... It's like an interesting idea, that, because the opposition's useless, isn't it? So well, I mean, why it. wouldn't why wouldn't you call exactly. call a snap general election? Now's the best time for a, a lame duck government to call a general election and, and have a sniff of continuing a chance. You get another five years, don't you? Risky, risky. But he's a he's a risky disco, isn't he? Well, he's a, a narcissist, a compulsive liar. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just complete scumbag and toe rag. Surrounded say. himself with with. Peers of similar nature. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, would Jeremy Hunt? <laughs> I mean, that would be that might even be worse. Actually, it'll have to be someone from the lower ranks coming up. Penny Mordaunt. Penny Mordaunt. Possibly, I don't know too much about her. But I know she might be in the. What about Jake Brice Mong? <laughs> Could you imagine him being prime minister? I don't. I don't think. He, I don't think he could imagine him being prime <laughs> No. No, that's not happening. No. No. Uh, can it? Uh, a good shout, um, Mordaunt. Yeah. I think she would. Uh, you know, she'd be better than this clown for a start. She'd be different. She couldn't be any worse. I think. I think different is is important. She's uh, young. Younger. She is, which is good. I'm all for younger leaders. Mm. Um, yeah, she wears glasses, so you know she gets my vote. Well, I'd just give her a. They give him a big fat shot in the ass, and <laughs> I don't think I've seen a picture of it, but I'll, I'll take your word for it. Oh, I don't know. It's just I was, I, that was the jingle I had, so I played it. <laughs> yeah, you, you know. put, oh, I see. You push the button that lights up the most. They're all, they're all the same. Bonkers, bonkers. He's a moron. Boris Johnson, moron, fuck off, he can't. Yeah, so I don't know. Should we uh, should we do some news? So another news story. Another news story. Uh, some. Would you like to do some scat? Ah, uh, would I? Mm-hmm. Some yeah. Viking scat. Scat man John. There's been uh, a huge development in. Uh, well, I don't think it's a development. I think it's been around for a while. But in, is it in, more of a movement? <laughs> a movement in the world of Viking feces. Feces. <laughs> Endangered feces. That was a band. What's <laughs> a band? Yeah. Ah, what do they have now? Maybe that they're, they're at the Yordic Centre in York because that's where the Lloyd's Bank Coprolite <gasps> is currently housed. Fuck! I know this story. <laughs> the importance of one huge Viking poop measuring twenty centimeters. That's eight inches. Imperial fans. <laughs> And five centimetres wide, the massive 
coprolite is believed to be the largest example of fossilized human poop paleofeces ever found. It's also thought to date to the 9th century AD, making it a remarkably long-lived piece of Viking poop. Show us picture Christ. (laughs) Yeah, eight inches long and two inches wide. So what makes the Lloyds Bank coprolite so special? The York Viking poop fossil is a solid individual piece. Poop is normally found as one large mass, for example, at the bottom of communal latrines. Mm. Poop piles are not so useful to paleoscatologists. Christ, what a job. Poop historians. Uh, Because they can only make generalised assumptions about the group of poopers as a whole. The group of poop. (laughs) The group of poopers. It's yark, innit? That was more leads, wasn't it? The group of poopers. Oh no. Oh no! The group of poopers! Well tough. <laughs> With the Lloyd's Bank poop, however, paleoscatologists can get way down into the specifics of who pooped it, what they were eating, and more. Wow. We know the diet wasn't the most nutritious. From an analysis an analysis, an analysis of the Lloyd's Bank coprolite, we know our Viking lived many, mainly on meat and grains, with very little in the way of fruits and vegetables. Right. Slide me. A paleo diet. A paleoscatologist, uh, grains and meat diet. This isn't necessarily true of everyone living there at the time, as large numbers of fruit pits and vegetable seeds were found at the site, blah, blah. Furthermore, going by the length and weight, half a pound, we can deduct that our Viking pooper was probably pretty severely constipated. Uh. Combine this with the poop's lack of pits and seeds, and it becomes clear that our Viking probably wasn't the healthiest person in the village. In 2001, the poop was chemically broken down and a fecal odogram was created. I love these words. What do you think a fecal odogram is? Odogram, as in a smellogram. An organoleptic study of the faeces was conducted. The centre worked out what the Lloyd's Bank coprolite smelled like when it was fresh out of the oven, so to speak. Oh, God. If you visit the recreated Viking latrine at the museum... You can smell it for yourself. When are we going? Take my money! (laughs) (laughs) Well, speaking of which, what's it worth? What's the Lloyd's Bank coprolite worth, Harmish Ben? You've said Lloyd's Bank about a thousand times. Mm. I want to understand how one gets to sponsor (laughs) an ancient shit. So, well, the background is they were building a new branch of the Lloyds Bank when it was discovered. Right. So it was that's why it was named the Lloyds Bank Coprolite. So we can't have the Amish Inquisition piss. It's frozen piss guard. Unfortunately, it isn't a corporate deal. Okay. No. No. What do you think it's worth? To, I mean, to me, mm. I think it's worth... It's. I think it'll be insured for... Oh, for the are we doing antiques roadshow? Are we? Yeah. Well, for the for, for the for the reasons of insurance, I would I suggest. I believe this item should be insured for, at the very least, between a hundred and a hundred and fifty thousand pounds. Oh gosh! <laughs> oh, Margaret! <laughs> Rewrite the wills. <laughs> oh, I think I'm going to faint. <laughs> well. 
Over 30 years ago, Dr. Andrew Jones had the coprolite appraised for his shoe. Dr. Andrew Jones? The, the famous, yeah, um, from paleo scatologist. <laughs> Daniel, <laughs> Andrew Jones. Dr. Jones. <laughs> hey, Bobby. <laughs> Run down that one. <laughs> I got an ancient turd. What's it worth? Call Dr. Jones. <laughs> Dr. Jones, Dr. Jones, calling Dr. Jones. What's this ancient scat worth, Dr. Jones? I mean, they're the lyrics, so I, I assume <laughs> it's the same guy. Yeah. Come on, Viking, let's go party. Plop, plop, ooh, push it. <laughs> well. No? Quite. Yeah, well, according. So, I can't make, I'm just making words up that are on the paper now. What's it worth? Over 30 years ago, Dr. Andrew Jones from Aqua. There are no words on that paper. <laughs> I'm just channeling. <laughs> I'm telling Ariman and deceiving you all. This is just therapy, right? It is, it is. Every Sunday night, therapy army. Uh, Dr. Andrew Jones had the coprolite appraised for insurance purposes. Yes. It was valued at just $39,000. Ah, it's not even... Uh, 30 years ago. I think you're right. Yeah? 30 years ago. $40,000 30 years ago. Would that not be a hundred grand today? I know my shit. And you definitely do. Uh, This seems a little low for such a rare artifact, and Jones agreed. At the time, he told the Wall Street Journal, It's insulting, really. This is the most exciting piece of excrement I've ever seen. In its own way, it's irreplaceable, like the crown jewels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a thoroughly exciting excrement. Very good. I um, mean, hundred fifty. Uh, you know, thirty-nine grand is, uh, you know, it's a drop in the ocean for for a nine hundred year old shit. For a mighty bolus. Yes. It is bonkers. Okay. You know the old adage. Do I? Nobody knows the old adage. Eat food. Calm down. Not too much. Eat food. Not too much. Mostly more pussy. (laughs) (laughs) Plants. He did uh, an interesting video, Dr. John. Uh, I think it was yesterday or the day before about um, Neanderthal DNA. Neanderthal DNA? Apparently, there's uh, some study being done. And uh, just some study. Uh, Neanderthal, if you've got Neanderthal, uh, certain levels of Neanderthal DNA in your genome, it doubles your risk of uh, serious starting illness. Starting a podcast. <laughs> Obviously starting a podcast and dying of COVID. Oh, really? Oh, shit. Yeah. So countries with high uh, Neanderthal DNA, we're not too bad here. We're like teens, early teens, 10% early teens. I was pretty Neanderthal in my early teens, I have to say. Uh, Bangladesh, loads of it. And, wow. they've, and they've had a rough time. You know where where it has virtually no Neanderthal DNA? Norway. No, Africa. Africa, right. And East Asia, China, okay. China, Japan. It kind of makes sense. But I don't know. Oh, well. Just have to take vitamin D, man. Oh, shit. What's that guy called? Dr. J. Garris. No. What's his name? Oh, oh. Doctor, oh, doctor. Oh, vitamin, doctor. D doctor. vitamin D doctor, David Grimes. David Grimes, yeah, doctor. gastroenterologist. He was, he is vitamin D expert. Gavis Khan. <laughs> uh, would you like to talk about uh, a mice infestation? Yeah, I just punched myself in the heart. That wasn't a good, good idea. 
Why do you do that? I don't know. I've got heart. I've got um, got some um, reflux issues. Yeah. Have you got? Have you, <laughs> yes. <laughs> have you got uh, pussy rashes? Afraid uh, No. No. Trying to come to a club where people we on each other. Not again. Okay. Um, yeah. Extensive mice infestation at Chinatown restaurant as maggots fell from the ceiling on diner's table. I mean, you pay for an experience, right? Mm. Where's that? Trafford Centre. A popular restaurant in Birmingham's oh, okay. Chinese Quarter has been ordered to shut down due to an extensive mice infestation. China Court Restaurant, opposite the Arcadian, was inspected by Birmingham City Council following a complaint that mega maggots... Mega maggots. Mega maggots. Tremors. Mega maggots fell from the ceiling. The authority was today, Monday, June the 6th, successful in its application for a hygiene emergency prohibition order... At Birmingham Magistrates Court. A hepo? Yeah. Which ruled that there was an imminent risk of injury to health. Well, yeah, if like an eight-pound maggot <laughs> lands on your head from the ceiling. Yeah. Those mega maggots aren't to be trifled with. No. Oh, Maybe you can make them into a trifle. It'd be a meaty trifle, wouldn't it? <laughs> Gooey. Uh, a host of identified issues will have to be addressed to the council's satisfaction before it can reopen. Environmental Health Officer Savraj Bahia confirmed she inspected the premises on Tuesday, May 31st. She said, Initially we had complained that when a diner sat down at the restaurant, some maggots fell from the ceiling onto the table. She proceeded to take the... <laughs> <laughs> could, could you just, I don't know what accent that was meant to be. I'm trying to I'm trying to channel Palki Palki Sharma Upade from Weon. Oh like yeah, a really sort yeah. of harsh, bordering on aggressive. Uh, yeah, it's got a corral, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. She proceeded to take the court through a series of photographs demonstrating mice droppings on shelving work surfaces and near a freezer. Miss Bahia also highlighted other greasy and filthy conditions at the premises. Ah, greasy. Asked specifically about the mega maggots, the officer suggested a mouse could have died and started to decay above the ceiling boards. She confirmed removing the boards to see what's going on up there was included on a schedule of works, which need to be completed before the venue can open again. Yes. Outlining the risk presented by mice, Miss Bahia added... My son in continent, yeah. They're always on the move, constantly urinating and defecating. <laughs> you can't Mouse droppings were on work surfaces in the kitchen, which would have been used to prepare food. Whether they were sanitized before I visited, I don't know. Quite clearly, the cleaning was very poor. In my opinion, it's non-existent. Mice are known to carry salmonella, which can be a severe poisoning bacteria for the humans. Jamaican Dalek. Yeah. So, I don't know, will it reopen again? It sounds like they've got all the work cut out to get rid of the mega maggots. Uh, I wouldn't bother. As soon as you get one mega maggot. Say on fire. 
Yeah, just nuke it from orbit. From orbit. <laughs> I watched all the Aliens films while my missus was away the other week. Oh, good. Well, I say all, the first you two. You missed yourself in some culture. I w- yeah, because I watched the first two. Right. Alien yeah. and Aliens. You, you've not seen the rest of them? Yeah. Well, yeah, uh, yeah Alien. So you watched Alien 3, that's one of the... With that's in prison. One. That's prison. a good one. Yeah, that is a good one. Have you seen Alien, the other ones? Yeah. Shit. Do you watch them all? No, I didn't watch them this way. I've right, seen okay. them and they were right, terrible. Okay, I'm not yeah. going to watch them again. No, you're not. No, I've seen them all as well. And the Predator and the Predator crossover ones and all that. And Prometheus. There's a new Predator film coming out. Yeah. I'm going to watch it. <laughs> good. <laughs> I'm sure it'll be good. I'm a completist. Are you up to date with Kenobi? Oh, Wednesday. Oh, Wednesdays, yeah, I think I'm up to date. It's only two left. Yeah. Only two well, left. It's gone, it's gone quick. Well, that last episode went quick. Did you not check the runtime? No. 30 minutes. Ah, oh, what's the point? Uh, well, why are they struggling? <sighs> why is it 30, 30 minutes? Even when you take the titles out, mm. it's that episode with 30 minutes long. That's shit when you compare it to uh, Stranger Things. Well, yeah, exactly. Shut up, obscenely lengthy runtimes. Yeah, they're they're out of ideas. They're just pumping this shit out, and and people are just sat there bend over with their asses gaping, saying more lightsabers, give me more. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, yeah the uh, the schedule for Disney and Marvel over the next two years is insane. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. You sent us a message. Some of the, I don't want to watch Marvel zombies. I don't want to watch. I probably will, but I don't want to watch the I Am Groot series. <laughs> Thing is, why wasn't Kenobi a film? Yeah, it should have been a film. Know your audience. I suppose. Well, Solo flopped hard, didn't it? Solo was shit. Maybe Solo should have been a series. <laughs> Kenobi should have been a film and they just got it wrong well I think maybe they're going to make another Kenobi series that's the only reason I can think of making it a series rather than a film they probably will won't they Kenobi 2 if there's anything left of him or whether he's just a you know dirty old husk of a Jedi by the end of this series these next two episodes (laughs) old Ben (laughs) it's been pretty fucking grim watching ugh God, imagine being like the third or fourth character in, in a series that's got your name on it. Nah. It's grim. Well, what if they brought back the um, half-human, half-spider Darth Maul? <coughs> yeah. What if they yeah. did? Series what two. Did? Yeah. Just this space. And then pod racing for seven series. <laughs> Uh, I laughed out loud when he was hiding Leia under his fucking cloak. Oh, yeah. How ridiculous was that? Hey, dudes, some aliens look like that. Remember, this was a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. On the most, uh, you know, impenetrable imperial base in the galaxy. And they're just, just, I'll I'll just put my coat over you. Everyone knows (laughs) Empire guys don't have any depth perception. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh god it was it was terrible uh it wasn't as bad as this, this the episode before but uh i've got i've got very low hopes for the next two episodes we'll see what happens can't wait for wednesday 
Exactly. They've got two. I mean, are these episodes going to be 30 minutes again? So what have they got? An hour of runtime to fix this shit show? Can I recommend the Sex Pistols series? What's that? It's on Disney, and it's it's very good. I've enjoyed it very much to the point where I started thinking about music again. Um, but, yeah, it's it's great. It's got, you know, it's got your Sex Pistols in it. It's got Malcolm McLaren, Vivian Westwood. Is it documentary say dramatization yeah dramatization yeah so they're not in it no 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 it's it's actors actors classically trained actors (laughs) yeah um thingy did it danny boyle did it but i've i've enjoyed it a lot i'm watching it we're up to sort of sid and nancy era now what so they're telling the story of the formation of formation of rise to fame of Rise and fall of you. Right, of the Sex Pistols. Sex Pistols, yeah, yeah it's good. The guy who plays um, John Lydon's very, very good. Johnny Rotten. Yeah. It's good. They're all good. Uh, it's on Netflix. It's on Netflix. It's mm. got Maisie Williams in. All oh, right. The old, the guy, the, the girl who won Game of Thrones. Yes. Yeah, the winner of the, the, <laughs> the Throne Wars. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Well, well, I'd, I'd recommend that. It's not. It's not like um, I know you. You know, it's not like Marvel and Star Wars stuff. Something a bit different. Mind you, you watched Miss Marvel, didn't you? This week, I did. I, I enjoyed it. I watched it and I thought, well, this doesn't really chime with with me. And I thought, well, that's. And I th- I felt weird about that, just while I was watching it. Until I and I've said this to you. Until Why am I, I watching a kids that, show? Yeah, well, there was that, and then I thought, well, none of the Marvel stuff charms with me. Charms with me. I mean, I, I like Rocket Raccoon as one of the best characters in Guardians of the Galaxy, and that's a talking raccoon. I can't relate, but yeah, I enjoyed it. I thought the visuals were were excellent. Um, the cinematography sort of style was was really good. There's not. I don't know what's going on in it yet there's only one one episode but I'll probably watch the rest I think there's only going to be six isn't there right there's interesting stuff going on with Rotten Tomatoes and uh, Miss Marvel I think it's been review bombed hasn't it by oh no it's uh... oh are you going to say by uh, alt-right well I don't know people who don't like the don't like the show that's what Disney would like you to believe oh right and the same with Kenobi uh, it's it's interesting if you go to Kenobi or Miss Marvel and it'll say like 180 critic re- reviews. You can't see them, or you can see one. I've never been on Rotten Tomatoes, but to me it doesn't really matter because I enjoy both of those shows. Right, that's all that matters to to me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I like to know. I don't want to invest any time in it that I can avoid. But what's weird is these these Disney shows. Have, are having reviews suppressed or something? Critics' reviews? But then if you go to Top Gun, Maverick, and it's got page after page after page of critic reviews. Which I also saw this week. That's supposed to be really good. It was excellent. If you like planes... Was it better than Morbius? <laughs> you know what? It was better than, oh, wow. better than Morbius, yeah. Was it better than Doctor Strange 2? Yeah. Well, was it the best film you've seen for years? No. Oh, what was the last 
best film film you've seen that was better than that. I think I watched with Nell and I again recently. Oh, I've been seriously. Uh, What's the film you've seen that was better than that? A, a new release. Can you think of one? I, I like the. Um, Christ. It doesn't have that. I can't remember what it's called. But the new Wes Anderson one, the French Dispatch. Oh, I don't it know. Was that is. The, the it was better than the. It was better than Maverick. Well, it's all down to personal taste, isn't it? But I did enjoy my Maverick. Yeah, Not it's uh, it's Rotten Tomato score is ninety nine. Is it that's, audience score? I guess that's good, right? Mm. It's, not, it's not like a reverse. It's like unheard of. Wow! Did he did he do some message at the beginning thanking people for coming back to the cinema? No, not that I remember. Oh, maybe you missed that. Maybe you were oh, getting popcorn the at the concessions. Popcorn. I did have popcorn. No, apparently he does a an intro to the film where he says, you know, it's been a rough. Two years, thanks for coming back to the theatres and supporting movies. We appreciate you. Rather than calling you a racist, because that's what Marvel do. Shit, well, I didn't... I didn't. Uh, <laughs> I don't remember it, so it didn't have that much impact on me. If it oh, it right. did. Maybe it was just on opening weekend that they, they filmed that, they put that out. Maybe. I don't know, when, when it opened. I do know a funny thing about Mobius, actually. <laughs> there, was, there was a lot of... Uh, on Reddit, there was a lot of... Um, uh, memes, Morbs memes. It's Morbin time, and loads, loads of like it got like quite a lot of of traction on on things like Reddit and and Universal. Is it Universal? Whoever it is, they yeah. actually re-released it in cinemas, thinking that they could make a bit more money off the back of uh, of this uptick in interest. Calm down, and it fucking panned. <laughs> It bombed, absolutely bombed, got panned at the box office. Well, Universal have probably got the hopes pinned on this new Jurassic Park, haven't they? Which I believe is also shit, but I will oh. go and see because I like dinosaurs. Yeah, yeah well, oh, I've got, I like dinosaurs. Did you not see the last got a Jurassic Park? that likes dinosaurs. Yeah. That was horrific, no? I can't, I can't remember what happened. There were no. dinosaurs in it. That's no. it, I can't remember what happens in bad <laughs> This films. is the thing with modern media. It's like, are you going to watch Kenobi again? No, no, no one's going to watch what? it. I'm not. You're right. How I mean, many times have you seen Solo? Once. It once was enough. You're right. In a lot of, no. in a lot of cases, it is. Unless it's you no know, with now and I. But in or a lot Star of cases, Wars. films I'll only watch once. In series, I'll only watch once. But I suppose I I only need to watch it once. Yeah, because you you realise that it's crap. I'm not going to waste any more time on it. Some I, films you'll watch more than once. I can't remember... Uh, the last time I turned something off halfway through because it was crap and I saw a dog at the cinema <laughs> oh my god <laughs> see I did dog in <laughs> no it's uh, we're, we're so, it's completely oversaturated with TV yeah. shows and movies yeah they're, they're there's a lot incredibly poor quality that's my takeaway there's a lot you you know you've got to uh, you folks out there you've got to discern Separate the wheat from the chaff. Yeah. How are you going to spend your life? I'm not going to watch Solo again. It was shit. Crap. Probably won't watch Solo. You did buy some merchandise, though. Merchandise. Yeah, well, that's from the original tr- trilogy, no? Is it? Yeah, it's on his. It's, it's on his wing. Uh, his rearview mirror on the Falcon. Hangs <laughs> <laughs> down from his mirror. <laughs> <laughs> sure, it does. I don't know. I can't remember. <laughs> Go on, kid. Don't get khaki. Go and get khakis. <laughs> <laughs> Do you 
just uh, shoot the juice to me, Bruce. Bruce? Uh, should we go? Yeah, let's go. I'm, I think we've had enough, haven't we? Watch, uh, watch this latest Kenobi again. <laughs> uh, well, it won't take you long. It's only half an hour long. Yeah, I might watch a, it twice. That's a bonus, yeah. Right, we'll uh, catch you guys on the flip side. See you next week. Bye. Are you entertained? Are you not? Are you entertained? At me? Well, you know, reasonably. Are you not entertained? Yes. Are you not entertained? No. <laughs> I love you. Uh, Praise Jabalon and all the Elohim. Yes, quite. That sign didn't kill himself. I think he did, did he? Thank you for watching. Trying to come to a club where people we on each other. Party Central. Show me what you got. You know what? You are a real wanker. Party Central. Put your teacher out of Hang on a minute. Well, we didn't done. do the am finally. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, uh, Mattel, just quickly. Oh, my gosh, this is going to be like a secret track, isn't it, on yeah. the audio? You so know, all you guys who've, uh, who've um, given us donations of over £300,000 this week, this is for you. Mattel have got a new line of toys coming out. Is it Viking Turds? This is not. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> did you catch that? I did. We should just end. <laughs> New from Mattel, Barbie's boyfriend is getting a much needed and way more inclusive makeover. Introducing pregnant Ken. He's a man with a baby. He's definitely male and not a lady. His belly lets you know he's pregnant, and his beard lets you know he's a man. Because men can get pregnant just like women. In fact, there's no definition of women. We literally have no idea what a woman is. Pregnant Ken does all the normal things every birthing person does, like chest feed, then hide his breasts with chest binders. He rocks baby to sleep with his supple masculine arms. And Ken, being a man and therefore a good driver, can even put baby in the back of the car for a fun drive around town. But not everyone in Barbie world is as open-minded as Ken. Men can't get pregnant? Hey, wait a minute. You're just a woman on hormones. Shut up, bigot. Tell your birthing people to buy you a pregnant Ken today. Because why should women be the only ones who can experience the miracle of getting an abortion? My body, my choice. Available in the non-gender specific toy aisle at Target adjacent to the chest binders for kids. Not legal for sale in Florida, Texas, or Saudi Arabia. Pregnant Ken, not actually a man. Wow, was that something from life? Sorry? Is that on SNL? That SNL. As <laughs> if they would touch anything like that with a barge pole. That's oh. the Babylon B, man. Uh. SNL, Christ. Chest feeding. Uh. Chest feeding. <laughs> I can't argue with that beat. Uh, that's going to be in your head for the rest of the night. Uh, now it is, because I've forgotten it already. <laughs> Right, say now, suckers. Peace out. Bye. This is such a crock of shit. You ever drunk Bailey's from a shoe?
that's it, man. Game over, man. Game over. You have no authority here, Jackie Weaver. They know what they're doing, Leia. When's the last time you saw biracial couples on TV? 